With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Here we are. We have come all this way together. We've gotten through the draft, uh, the inundation of draft grading. Rookies, well, some rookies are in many camps. Some who probably should be are not. Uh, we'll probably talk about that a little bit. But we have our, uh, you know, our, our football fix to some extent being provided by rookie mini camps. We have, you know, teams guessing trying to figure out exactly who will make their 53-man roster and what that will look like, and all of that's now underway. And, of course, you know, the undrafted free agent signing period is particularly important. Well, it's one. I mean, you know, do I need to go through the list of undrafted free agents who have had a great impact on the league, obviously from the, you know, from guys like Kurt Warner and, guys like John Randall and guys like Rod Smith and, you know, who knows how many others. And, of course, most recently, you know, a guy like Malcolm Butler. Obviously, maybe not quite a Hall of Famer yet, but a guy that has made a great impact on the league. So, obviously, the undrafted free agent signing period is worthy of mention. Jim Metrics, a.k.a. Jim Coburn, a.k.a. Jimmy Jam, and my uh, friend, gentleman James Coburn, has joined us as well. How are you doing, Jim? Pretty good. Excellent. And this is a time of year where teams are filled with hope, hope and belief and joy in some cases that they've uncovered a treasure trove of young talent. And obviously people pay a lot of attention to the guys that go in the first round, second round, and they tend to pay less attention, sometimes much less attention to the late round and of course even the undrafted free agent signed players, some of whom as, you know, I think will be borne out, will end up being not this good, but there's usually one or two great players sort of mixed in in every undrafted free agent signing period. Sometimes those guys are hard to find. Sometimes they take a little longer to develop, but sometimes not. Now, I don't know how much of your work looks at undrafted free agents in terms of, you know, which of them do make it and what things about them allow them to survive with all the you know, the deck being stacked against them? I mean, it's like anything else. You know, th- this topic gets brought up a lot, Bill, with, with people in that they go, why are you criticizing my seventh-round pick? Don't you know <laughs> that Hall of Famers aren't to be found in the seventh and sixth round or fifth <laughs> round or undrafted free agent round? Don't you know these guys are supposed to suck? Don't you know that? Well, again, uh, here, here's what we'll I we lucky know. if we can get some quality depth. 
<laughs> Here's what I do know. Every single year, there are players drafted in day three, fifth round, sixth round, seventh round that become starters or better. And every single year, there's UDFA guys that become starters or better. Every single year. So just because your team is terrible at drafting at that area and terrible at bringing in UDFAs doesn't mean that I can't criticize you for getting a bum, you know? Like, a bum is a bum is a bum. So uh, basically, to answer your question, it's the same thing as anything else. Most of the time, guys who end up being successful that are day three players or uh, UDFA players, uh, those are players that had everything in terms of athleticism or they had everything in terms of production, and it was just a matter of them getting into the right situation and opportunities for them to become successful. Good good example, Jordan Howard for, with the Bears uh, at running back. He was in a situation where based on his production, he had, you know, three-time Pro Bowl level, well, five-time Pro Bowl level production. On top of that, he had all the athleticism traits, very similar to Arian Foster, by the way, and he goes into a situation with the Bears where there is no running back there. All of them are no. not good. Uh, yeah, so that is correct. <laughs> all the Jeremy Langford people that were like, oh, yeah, Jeremy Langford, woo based on all of his data, he was basically just a backup, like that best-case scenario. So when you get a guy who falls into the right situation where you have guys in front of you that are meh, the coach just kind of throws his hands up and goes, all right, we'll give the we'll give the fifth rounder a shot. You know we were wrong. <laughs> Come on up, Jordan Howard. And then if he hits, then he can tell everybody. I knew from the very beginning. From from the very beginning, we drafted him. I knew there was something special about that young man. But most of the time, <laughs> you didn't. You, you didn't see anything special on him. You thought he was just like everybody else. But again, I digress. But that's that's basically what it is. This is the, the metrics I care about, the data I care about, is the data that applies. It doesn't matter when you're drafted. You can be drafted in the first round, the second round, the third round, the fourth round, the fifth. You could be UDFA. Quentin Spann, for example, a guy that was a UDFA guy, which based on my metrics was basically like Ben Grubbs, you know, in terms of athleticism. So, and the film wasn't bad either. So I was like, like in terms of run blocking. So I was, I was like, why is this right. guy? Why why is nobody like this guy? He's extremely <laughs> athletic. He's, you know, and he goes UDFA, and he ends up being a starter for the Titans. So obviously he shouldn't have been a UDFA guy. But that's just my basic point: is the NFL gets stuff wrong all the time. Just because I criticize the NFL doesn't mean the NFL is going to come down and throw lightning bolts at me, you know, over this stuff. Like because. They get stuff wrong, too. So, yeah, just so you know. So that, that's all I would say is when it comes to UDFA and, and late sort of guys, it's the same thing as everything else. It's just these guys have to get into situations where they get opportunities. They can't be in situations where they just get tryouts. I hate tryouts. The guy gets a tryout. <laughs> I, I, I lose interest immediately because tryout players, I mean, when was the last time an NFL player got a tryout? And became like a starter. I I can't even. I haven't it even happens. done anything. On I could that. name a. I could name a few, but it's it is the deck being stacked against you. Then they recut the deck and stack it some more against you. Is this what it is? Exactly. In that like like being a being a undrafted free agent signee is bad enough, but you add in the tryout aspect of this, and it gets even worse. So. 
you know. So if you become a tryout guy, based on the people I've talked to that were tryout guys, it's you're it's it. End of the line, you know. That's about it. So unless you catch the eye of a, of a guy or something like that. So yeah, uh, or or there's coaches like every like the Patriots do this a lot. They'll bring in some guys from like two draft classes ago that they liked and they're like, Hey, where have you been? Like, Oh, I've been unemployed, you know, and that, you know, that sort of thing. Maybe they might reconnect (laughs) that way. Uh, but that's about it. So, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically what it, it just is about opportunity. And again, falling to the right spot, you go into a situation where, you know, or maybe you don't know, but you at least get to a situation where you have a person in front of you who's not good uh, which is like most NFL teams, and you just end up winning the job because you're just better than the guy, you know. And that's like anything in life. It's just that if you're a running back and Adrian Peterson is in front of you, you're not you're not really you're not going to work out. So um, you have to get in a situation where you have the right sort of stuff in front of you that isn't good, and then take advantage of that. I'm amazed. I shouldn't say amazed because I'm not amazed. I should, that was the wrong word to use. Disappointed. That was the word. That's the word I needed to whip out. I am consistently disappointed by, well, one, some of the guys that don't get drafted, but two, by how casually some teams go about the process of sort of figuring out who indeed to bring in and who not and all that good stuff. And, I mean, as you said, there are teams that clearly don't, invest a lot of time and energy, I guess, is the term I'm looking for, in, in evaluating undrafted free, uh, free agent players. But when Arthur Malek has a seven-year NFL or eight-year NFL career, and people are like, oh, you know, oh, yeah, you know, well, why didn't you know? You should have known. Hey, look at all that really good tape. Hey, look at how he tested. Jacob Hollister, right? When he has a yeah. – when he outperforms – I mean, it's a really good tight end class, but outperforms a couple of the drafted tight ends. And they'll be able to, hey, who knew? Wow. Yeah, well, you should have known. Why, why didn't you know? It's right there in front of you. All that lovely data that you, you know, of which you could have availed yourself. Well, they don't use when it. Katie, I guess. When Katie Cannon has a 10-year NFL career, you know, um, when, when David Jones uh, – from from Richmond has a, a six to eight year NFL career. Yeah, well, Andy Cannon got starter. cut. Like he got cut. So. That's right. But he'll get picked up by somebody. I mean, I just refuse and he to got believe cut. That. The, the rumors about the cut was very odd because he apparently got cut because he burned a cornerback, and then on the next play didn't give a hundred percent, which is basically right. like Baylor tape. That is like, exactly the Baylor method. Yeah, that's that the Baylor method. method. And then they cut him, and I was thinking to myself, didn't you watch the film? I mean, that's kind of the way he, you know, practices. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was odd that they would cut him in straight up. It's just it's, they didn't know who 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 he was. <laughs> they didn't know. Hey, what, what's up with that? Why didn't he sprint pull out or block or whatever it was that was supposed to have happened on that second play? But yes. Yes, that is, you know, and some people still, you know, still are the flare-up each year whenever any Baylor 
wide receiver is discussed about that. You know, it's it, it's one of those speaking evergreen. It's one of those things that comes up literally every draft season, as you know, and it'll come up again next year, and who knows how many years, and and there'll be those that will you know hardly criticize the player, right? Hardly criticize the player, as if that wasn't something they were clearly coached to do. Since every single Baylor receiver you've ever seen in your entire life has done it. And we'll see if that changes under Matt Rule. I guess there's a chance, but I'm, I'm guessing not. Or maybe it will be modified to some extent since he's clearly a guy who's big into, you know, I don't know what he'll call it now. You can't call it triple tough. Uh, obviously, this no more, no more cookies and uh, no more cookies and milk, I guess. I don't know. You could do the Charlie Strong. I don't know what he'll call it. <laughs> yeah, he'll call it something. Or he'll figure out a way to describe whatever it is that they're going to be doing. So maybe that will end but. Uh, the coming of, of Coach Rule, but I'm just confused by people who are confused, I guess, is what I'm talking about that. Like, you you clearly, hey, if you want to change the behavior, I'm willing to bet if you just told him, hey, that's not how we do it here, I'm willing to bet the next time you would do it the way you asked. That's that's, that's what I'm going to go out and assume. He's going to land somewhere he's going to be just fine and be good. And with somebody who isn't going to cut him two reps into a rookie mini camp. <laughs> um, you, you you said yourself that sometimes the NFL makes mistakes, and as if you know that wasn't a, a or to send fact. a message about sending oh, yeah, a message, you know, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah, we're the 49ers, we're tough, we cut players, all right. <laughs> Two reps into a game. Two reps into a game. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know. It, that was obviously just a weird weird thing. But, yeah, I mean, there are opportunities to be had. It's just a matter. The one thing I haven't done yet, because I've just been so busy breaking down every single draft class, uh, is to actually just look at the depth charts. Because I do that every year. I mean, it's why I predicted C.J. Anderson. It's why I predicted Jordan Howard. It's why I predicted a bunch of players. Because you just get to see, okay, so-and-so player is starting. And this is like with C.J. Anderson, it was more effective. Okay, Monty Ball is the starter there. Yeah, that's not going to last. <laughs> not going to happen. Right. No, not going to happen. And C.J. Anderson and I, is right behind him. I remember the first time you really engaged with Justin Higdon was around Monty Ball, who he seemed to kind of dig. And I was like, I, I mean, Justin's a good guy and I really like him. We, we often agree. But I, I, I didn't have all the numbers. I just had looked at Monty Ball and saw, wow, this is one of the most average running backs I've ever seen in terms of, I don't know, everything that I evaluate when I look at running backs. He's dead on average at literally everything. And though it's possible he could have an NFL career, the thought that he was going to be a top-line starter, I mean, it never occurred to me that that was a possibility. Without right. even the numbers. I mean, but, that, just, but that was but, the whole thing about, Peyton, like, oh, Peyton Manning's there, and Peyton Manning makes great, which I hate that argument, too. Most running backs actually don't, shouldn't they have great quarterbacks, actually, kids, because if they have great quarterbacks, then that means that they're not running the football enough. Because <laughs> you know, if they have a great quarterback, they're going to be throwing, you know, un- yeah. unless you are a guy who's catching the football, and doing all the extra stuff, you know, like a Le'Veon Bell or Zeke Elliott or, you know, like that type of guy. Unless you're that guy, a running back that can do it, do it both ways, 
if you're and not Monty that Ball type of guy, not, not that. Yeah, he's not, yeah that guy. he's not that. He's very singular. But my, my basic point is just, again, you, you just look at the situation and you look, like, for example, the New York Giants. Linebacker situation, as of right now, they have J.T. Thomas, D.J. Goodson, and Devin Tenard. right? <laughs> Those are their linebackers. The Giants I would assume had, that a call will be made to Darrell Washington now that he is his yes, free agent. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. I mean, if you think about it, the Giants are one of the most perplexing defenses ever because they haven't had a legit linebacker in like a decade. Like the last time they had a linebacker who at least was like serviceable, like, okay, that's a good linebacker, is like what, Antonio Pierce? Antonio you know? Pierce, coach now of the, is it the, is he coaching Cal Poly, I think now? Oh, not Cal Poly. Yeah, I no. think, yeah. Uh, uh, Poly, Poly High School, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Long Beach Poly High School. But yes. Um, yeah. Antonio Pierce, was pretty decent. Um, they had a couple of decent years out of uh, what is his name? The other sort of okay. Oh, um, from from Wisconsin. Um, oh, what was his name again? Um, uh, Casillas. They had a couple of years out of Casillas that were decent. Um, but yes, I agree. They seem to have. Almost no idea of how to locate linebackers. Yeah. But that's opportunity. If you are a linebacker and you're trying to get a job, you would go to the Giants. You know? Because that's just that that's just the way that works. I don't know. It's just the way it works. It's like with Jatavis Brown. It's like with all these players, you know? Like, it's just basic. I don't know, put put on your thinking cap. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's all it really is. You, you look at the situation, you look at who's starting there, and you go, yep, that ain't going to last. You know, like, that's not, that's not going to, that's not going to happen long term. And then you just move from there. So, um, you know, which, which again, I know a lot of people, because, again, every year it's like with fantasy football or just stuff in general, it's like trying to predict stuff. It's just like, well, you know, this guy's here. Well, you know, they invested a second-round pick in that guy, so I don't know. They they feel pretty highly about him. It doesn't matter what your draft – I mean, sure, it matters a little bit what your draft status is, but if you are Monty Ball, it doesn't matter if you're a second-round pick. That ain't going to help you. That, that won't save you if you are who you are. So it doesn't matter how high you're drafted. If you just happen to be someone who just isn't very good, your draft status will not save you. You know, that's – just the fact, despite the whole. It just means it'll be a little more embarrassing when you finally have to give up. Right, because we, we, you know, and that's the other thing, and, and don't get me wrong, I do understand the sort of looking at the odds of players drafted in the first round versus the second round and the third round and the fourth round and the fifth, you know, like, okay, it's okay to look at those odds a little bit to go, he's a seventh rounder, very low odds, you know, to be successful. But again, you're not. It doesn't matter what the odds were of them getting drafted that particular spot. Every single year, there's going to be guys in those areas that end up being nothing, absolutely nothing. So you need to be looking for the things that at least make them into something. So, uh, you know, if you if you just pay too, so much attention on, well, you know, they're draft like, oh, well, they're drafting this wide receiver over this wide receiver, and but this wide receiver is a fourth rounder. So, 
he should be valued more because he was drafted higher than this other one. No, I I don't have to do that. If one guy has better <laughs> indicators, like if, if one guy was drafted in the fourth round and his production indicators and stuff was kind of eh, and his athleticism was kind of eh, and his film was kind of eh, and another guy was drafted in the sixth round and his production was better and his athleticism was better and, and his film was better, I don't care who was drafted where. Like, it, it, you know, I, I don't know. I just think we pay way too much attention to that kind of stuff at times, you know. And don't get me wrong. Sure, if a guy is a UDFA guy, even if he can be good, there's still a chance he gets Joe Pesci, which, again, you know, is a term where a player I really like never really gets given a shot, and then he just kind of fades away, you know, basically gets whacked, you know, because never becomes a made man. But that's just what you have to deal with when you have the UDFA. But when it comes to other rounds and stuff like that, their game, you know. If, if they're in the right situation, they're 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 gonna they're gonna make it. But you know, not everybody is in the right situation sometimes. So um, it just depends on some. And of course, some guys make it later. Michael Turner, you know, was a guy that kind of made it later after being behind Ladainian and Tomlinson. So there's guys like that, but it doesn't happen as often as people, you know, expect, predict, whatever when it comes to that. So I'm just looking at certain teams, and some teams just, you know, brought in – some of it's a numbers thing. Some teams just brought in a handful of undrafted guys. Some teams brought in a bunch. Like Arizona brought in a bunch, you yeah. uh, know. Sojourn Shelton, Carlton, O.C., Drico Johnson, Cyril Nolan Lewis, Stephen Robolowski, uh, James Summers, Krishan Hogan, a guy I like, uh, Jonathan McLaughlin, Lucas Crowley, uh, Crowley's a guy that some people have sort of said could be the next Jeff Saturday. I won't go that far, but, you know, he's got Carolina and playing center in common. Uh, Gump right. Hayes, Tassoni Tassini, Ricky Seals-Jones. That's the only guy they were with us. He did wax dropsodic about his love for Ricky Seals-Jones. Uh, Ironhead hey. Gallon, who, yes, Ironhead Gallon, one of the cooler names in the draft. Uh, Colin Bevins, who I think is a chance to stick. Uh, the spot technique slash D-tackle type from Northwest Missouri State, Trevon Johnson, Ryan Lewis, Trevor Knight. Trevor Knight's sort of a confusing one. Unless they're playing to move into another position, he's not exactly a Bruce Arians quarterback type. But um, if we're sort of grading this based on what you do as if it were a draft class, what do you think of that group? Besides being large. Right, oh, there's the Cardinals. Um, hmm. Krishan Hogan's really on there? Yep, yep, yep. Oh, I think he's going to make that team. Right. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's okay. You know, I mean, Hogan, I think, Hogan, surprisingly, Hogan is a guy that I, just from a production standpoint, from an athleticism standpoint, he hits all the things you want, especially for an FCS level, uh, or not FCS level, but, you know, lower level. Yeah, yeah, wide receiver. He kind of hits everything you want from a production standpoint and hits everything that you want from an athleticism standpoint. So that actually might be decent. Trevor Knight is, well, Trevor Knight, but as an athlete, he's very, yeah, he's a very good athlete. So you got that sort of, uh, built in, 
thing there, I guess. But it's you know it's okay. I mean, they got. I mean, Hogan. You know, if you if you think about the wide receiver situation, they I guess they're trying to get that extra guy, that bigger wide receiver. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald isn't gonna last forever. You know, he's gonna retire eventually. But Larry Fitzgerald's eventually going to have to retire. Michael yeah. Floyd is not coming through that door anymore, obviously, and the rest of their good receivers are all five nine ish, if my memory serves me correctly. Right. So they could use some variety, you know, in terms of their. Um, you know, their group. Uh, so, I mean, it makes sense to get him. Chad Williams, I think, you know, was a good pick for them in terms of, you know, day two area. But oh, yeah. they could definitely use some more bigger wide receivers. And I, that's the one guy that I would say has – don't be surprised if Christian Hogan ends up being a starter or contributing or making the team a roster or stuff like that. Because he has the athleticism traits that you want, has the production that you want. It is at a level of competition that's kind of eh, but when you actually do level of competition stuff, like study it and go back to the 80s and stuff like that, he hit an area where at least there is uh, some hope, you know, some good things that could happen with that, especially when you have a guy who has the athleticism and the production from that level of competition. So I would say that that's probably the biggest takeaway with that. Uh, oh, and I think the other – they get they got – did Dylan Cole go to them? Or again? Uh, Dylan Cole, Missouri State. Oh. I think I'm not sure. I'm pulling up a bunch of different things. Um I could have sworn Dylan Cole got drafted. I I'm I'm almost hundred percent sure he got drafted. Sometime day three. He didn't he didn't get drafted. Really? Because he played What's wrong with people? He played at slow level division. They decided to take all the other line. I mean, uh, Akimi, uh, a lig, uh, a lig day. A Georgia Southern linebacker. He got drafted, yeah. and Ironhead yeah, Gallery was the better linebacker. Didn't get drafted <laughs> right. because my hands are in the air. I don't know. So uh, <laughs> That's like a weird one. Yes, I, I'm with you on that. Weird one. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Cole makes sense. You know, for them, because uh, I, I kind of the the Cardinals drafts at least made sense of what they were trying to do. You know, they they got a really athletic linebacker uh, to, who can do coverage stuff, and that's the one thing that their linebackers have sorely been terrible at is coverage. That's why Dion yes. Cannon became who he became because yes. they just had all these terrible linebackers. Like Gerald Washington is on the weed and all this other sort of stuff. And, what are we going to do? And they're like, oh, we'll put a safety there. And then that, it works, you know. So so getting a Dylan Cole, I think, is a, is a guy that definitely kind of fills, fills that kind of need. The other guys, like Avery Genesee, I still don't get the Avery Genesee stuff um, consistently. Most of the people that well, even praise Avery Genesee, I'm like, did you even watch the tape, bro? Yeah, yeah. right. Well, while he's not the worst player I've ever seen, I mean, that's a guy who I just can convince will never be a long-term NFL starter. I, I don't see a path well, to starting for him. Well, in terms of his explosiveness, there has never been a long-term starter. So, yeah, I mean, it's never happened. That piece of information, but I did watch his tape. I'm just saying Avery Genesee was one of those prospects where people were talking about him, but it was like a hype thing. 
Like, nobody actually saw him, but they just, it was the name and somebody wrote an article about him or something like that or rumor about scouts liking him. And somebody heard scouts, just, exactly. That I did hear. I did right. hear scouts like him. So I went back and looked again, Jim. Like, well, maybe I didn't really focus on him before. Maybe I missed something. So this time I'm going to focus on him. And I saw a guy that was late to help on things. I mean, once again, I don't know all their blocking schemes and assignments. So I, I, I'll give him a semi-pass. But there's times when what looked like it should have been one of those classic pass-off double-team deals, we was late to the pickup point. You know, <laughs> like, uh, hey, this is your guy now. Could you, oh, oh, no, there you are. Oh, okay, well, now we've kind of lost control of him. You know, <laughs> I saw that happen. Uh, I saw him occasionally struggle to execute certain techniques where he had to get to a certain shoulder on a defender where he would sometimes, once again, not get quite to the, you know, hey, that's not where you're supposed to be blocking him. You should be blocking him over there. Now that he's got a, that one more step of momentum, that stuff counts, you know. <laughs> that guy's one more further step out from where you thought he'd be when this play was drawn up. I saw that being a struggle for him. I saw him get pushed around a little bit. Uh, I didn't see anything where I thought, wow, man, that guy is amazing at blank. Like, I, didn't see, I, couldn't, I couldn't never fill in that blank that made me think, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be great. Exactly. But there was that whole thing that was, yeah. But, yeah, so, again, Hogan, yeah, Lucas Crowley, hey, Lucas Crowley might, might be a starter. Very possible. Ironhead Gallon, like I said, is the better linebacker of the Georgia Southern linebackers. Uh, yep. With the name. Um, Sorgen Shelton maybe has some potential as a slot cornerback. He's the guy that, that jacked up uh, that uh, LSU linebacker. Yep. Not linebacker. And once again, cool. cool name. Yeah, yeah. Cool yeah name. Dupree, yes. Yeah, Dupree. Oh, I did it. Um, Ricky Seals Jones is Ricky Seals Jones, man. He's his own hype, man. So he um, has he has some fault. He has some fans. He has you know people who think he has a chance. Well, now he's moving to this new position, and now he's going to blossom. I, I don't know what that's based on exactly, other than the fact that he is a large-bodied athlete. I mean, he is a large enough player that he could conceivably be a tight end. Right. And then the other guy, oh, and then uh, uh, Ryan um, Lewis from Pittsburgh. Yeah. I think, matter of fact, I think I'll, I'll, I'm going to call this. He's ended up being the starting wide receiver opposite of Patrick Peterson. So, he's not, yeah, a cornerback. Yeah. He's, uh, because the corners on the Cardinals are just not, I don't know what they're doing. Like, okay, Patrick Peterson, I get it. Patrick Peterson's great, yeah. but yeah. the guy next to Patrick Peterson is Brandon Williams from Texas A&M, who is Brandon Williams from Texas A&M. Like, I, I didn't understand why he – like, he, he was, he's athletic. He's just really unproductive, like severely questionable, Mac Alexander level of, like, this guy – is the guy, you know. Um, I get a lot of hate from well, people my... always People always defend him with the, well, for three years he was a running back. So? 
So was Darrell Revis three years a running back in college? No, he he wasn't. Um, like that doesn't give you brownie points. It, it, like just because you played a position for three years and now you're playing a new position, that so, suddenly you have this unlocked potential. All it really means to me is you're this inexperienced guy who has to learn things at the NFL level. Come on, people! Like, yeah. just scared. No, if you think about. And then I throw in. I mean, okay. Admittedly, the Richard Sherman that we saw in his one year as a defensive starter at Stanford was not quite the Richard Sherman that we saw later. Right. But even early Richard Sherman was further along than Brandon Williams. Pretty much. I mean, Brandon Williams is basically you have to go because of that. But doesn't trade, which is this is my issue. This is this is why they have to sex to analytics. Bill is they they get something. They get athleticism, or they get production, but they don't seem to meet in the middle. They don't seem to combine them. You know, the, the, they don't put the peanut butter in their chocolate, and the chocolate isn't getting the peanut butter. So you just chase athletes, and then you're like, well, that one didn't pan out. Well, next one, we'll try the next one. When you don't actually try to look at, like, like basically, Barry Williams is just a guy that, yeah, he's a great athlete, but he's just very clueless when it comes to the position for obvious reasons. Uh, and at least Ryan Lewis actually knows how to play his position. I don't really think he's, yeah. like, amazing. But he does have good athleticism. He does a good production. So I would not be surprised if he ends up becoming the starter opposite of Patrick Peterson. Maybe it, initially he doesn't get the starting job because, again, they spent a very high pick on Brandon Williams. But it doesn't matter what your pick status is if you are if you are who you are. So. I would say Ryan List probably ends up being the starter there, cornerback. And I was actually surprised he didn't get drafted because his tape wasn't that bad. Um, and athleticism-wise, kind of checked all that stuff, of course, production. So, um, yeah, that's the other guy I think would. So, honestly, this wasn't that bad of a UDFA hall. Some UDFA halls are really bad. This one wasn't that bad. Yeah, I mean, I've so, seen teams where not a single one of those guys, if somebody makes the roster even, you know, they might have one, maybe two guys that might – might stick somewhere on the 53 or, or, or practice squad, but none of them will ever contribute. I've seen some teams where they got essentially nothing. Uh, you know, there's none of the people they got are ever going to help them. I've certainly seen that. But, hey, they're UDFA guys, so, so it's just gambling. Nobody knows. Nobody knows anything. Right? <laughs> Nobody knows anything. <laughs> got to wait. We're just going to bring in some guys and see what happens. See what happens. That's basically saying the approach is. Roll the dice. Yeah. Yeah, I actually like the Cardinals. That's pretty good. Yeah, I was was saying it's a pretty good group, yeah. That's what I was saying. They have have a couple of guys who I think will will contribute, and as you said, possibly even sooner than rather than later. And moving – on from, you know, a, a very solid group, as, as I think we both agreed. Uh, Atlanta, a team that, you know, clearly is right on the, you know, the precipice, the edge of possibly being a championship team. Uh, they brought in Jermaine Grace, Jordan Moore, Tyler Renew, Taylor Reynolds, Christian Tago, who I kind of like, Andreas Knapp, who there was a little bit of buzz around, Josh McGee, Cam Heather. Jarnar Jones, Darius English, Reginald Davis III, Deontay Burton, 
Daniel Breskill, and you know, here's a name that obviously we both will very much recognize: Alex Ferguson, Travis Averill, Will Freeman, Quincy Mauger, Deron Washington. I like another guy I really like. Chris Odom, another guy I like. Uh, Robert Leff, Marcellus Branch, Jacarius Jones, wrapping up the UDFA Hall. Uh, one, are there any? I mean, obviously, there's at least one name that I know stands out. But speaking of the players that are on that list, with what you do and how you do it, who do you see as potential contributors and why? Well, I like some of the players, uh, but my biggest issue is is the people that are in front of them. Right. So, like, J.T. Jones, I like. Chris Odom, I like uh, as, you know, pass rushers. Uh, Darius English at least had a, a start. I don't like him that much, but he did have enough things in, indicating potential starter, I guess, when it comes to him from a athleticism standpoint or a production standpoint. But are any of those guys going to start over Vic Beasley? No. Are any of those guys going to start over Tackers, Tack McKinley? No. So it's, at the very least, it's part of a rotation, you know possibly, you know, kind of doing that sort of thing. So, you know, good players, but not in the best situation. Of course, Alex Torgerson, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of in terms of, you know, he was the one guy that I liked in terms of uh, lower-level division guys. And just in terms of, like, chance to make it, I guess, you know, because, you know, he has decent talent. He at least is on the radar of teams. And But this is another situation where he's not he's not going to start over Matt Ryan. Um, no, not gonna happen. But he could develop and you know and see where that kind of goes from there. Um, the offensive line, I mean, they got, other than Cam Kayser from Portland State, who has some decent athleticism traits. Actually, that's right. the one guy that, that might possibly he might end up being a, a starter in front of. Uh, he might like the right guard situation. Like he's obviously not going to start in front of Alex Mack because that's yeah. just a no go. But as far as the right guard <laughs> right. position, the right guard position right now is Wes uh, Schwetzer, I guess. What are the uh, And then Robert uh, Left from Auburn is right behind him. Uh, both those guys are kind of eh, athletes. So right. if they put Cam Kazar there uh, at right guard, that could actually help to kind of solidify that line, unless they put Sean Harlow at right guard, which you know it's anybody's guess. But that that would be my thinking. Like, is Kazar might have the best chance to possibly become a starter there. Uh, but everybody else is just kind of eh. The, the safeties, Quincy Major is a guy I've never been never really been the biggest fan of. Right. But um, but other than that, I mean, I like the players. Like the players, I don't think they're in the best situation to take a job. Uh, it is all I'm trying to say. It's like if Alex Torgerson right. was behind Josh McCallan, I would go. Yeah. <laughs> he's not. He's in front of Matt Ryan. So that's that's kind of my feeling with these right. guys. If the Although, Jets had picked him up, right. it'd be a different story. It would be a different story if the Jets picked him up, but that's not really the case here. So. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's not a super strong group, and obviously a team that's you know 
I'll tell you the, the the one guy I do kind of like, though he, I mean, you mentioned Chris Odom. I also like Deron Washington, the Pittsburgh State safety. And next up, we have Baltimore, who got Maurice Shakir, Patrice, uh, Patrice, uh, Patrick Ricard, Daniel Henry, Carlos Davis, Ricky Ortiz, Taekwon, a.k.a. Smoke Mizell, Bam Bradley, C.J. Board, Kenny Allen, Brandon Kublanow, Quincy Adebayo, Oda, I've done it, I had this name solid earlier, Adeboyo, Tim White, Tim Patrick, my guy, Zach Terrell, Omarius Bryant, Jason Cruz. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. Uh, last one was Omarius Bryant uh, from Western Kentucky for Baltimore. And once again, with what you do and how you do it, who are the guys that you think have the best shot to stick and or contribute out of that group? Hmm, interesting. Well, they, they have a type. They have a type. Yes. Yeah. They do. They tend to they tend to go after these athletic, lower level division defensive type people and see what happens. And they've had some you know they had some success with you know with uh, Brandon Williams and uh, you know a few other guys. Um, hmm. Well, Patrick Richard Ricard from Maine. I think there's potential that he could end up being a starter there. Uh, Daniel Henry from New Mexico is, is just not good. So <laughs> there's, there's a lot of not good here. Carlos Davis from Mississippi is Ole Miss is not good. Uh, Smoke Mazil might have some potential because the running back position for the Ravens is, you know, Talaferro and what, Terrence West. So there, there's basically it's not the most solid situation. You know, like there, there isn't clearly the guy. Uh, it's a couple, it's a committee sort of thing. So, you know, Smoke might be able to possibly make some noise because he's a guy who had decent production and a decent sort of athleticism sort of stuff. And, oh, Brandon uh, Kublanow might have a shot mm-hmm. to play some offensive line, uh, possibly, possibly, maybe left guard sort of situation. Um, he's the guy that I actually like a decent amount on film. Uh, Quincy from Ole Miss, I, I don't really want to you know, I'm not going to attempt the last name because I haven't got it right yet. I can spell the name, though, from memory. I just can't mm-hmm. say it. Uh, you know, production really isn't there. Tim White's no. production really isn't there. Um, you know, you so talk about having a type. There's a type of Nigerian height-weight speed receiver from Auburn from the um, Devin Aromashidus and Bid Obamanus of the world. Right. Who managed to hang around the league for a couple of years, usually, but never do anything very spectacular. Sure, but Aromashidu was actually productive. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of Devin Aromashidu. I was. I, I mean, these guys, hang out. these guys hang out. I get that. I, I get these guys hang out. And I know a lot of people criticize wide receiver production stuff because of a handful of players that make it. But unless you hit that 58 or higher area, it's like a sea of red and yellow. I'm trying to like, it's not a lot of success at that point. With the occasional so you're saying outlier. essentially 
there's like two or three percent is what it sounds like who make it if they right. don't get that number. One percent who make it if they don't get that number. It's not great. Not great odds. Not great. Not great odds. So, um, I mean, Quincy has some uh, athleticism, but he's pretty much yeah. going to be able to. And that's the thing too. They're pretty much going to be what they were in college, which again is a player who contributes somewhat, but was never really the start. You know, like. Why, why can't players in college just be what they were in college, right? Right, guys? So, you know, sometimes guys are just what they were in college, which is just rotational backup, special teams, stuff like that. So, um, Tim Patrick might be interesting just because he's he has some nice games. He has some decent games. Um, I think in particular the USC game was the one where he kind of got on most people's radars. Um so there, there might be something there. Of course, your boy Zach Terrell kind of fits with the Ravens, too, and taking a Mac quarterback that is popular. On, well, now he's not really popular on Josh Twitter. But, it, you know, it's somewhat popular amongst some people, I guess. <laughs> uh, I don't know. For whatever reason, Zach Terrell is not that popular. And he does have, you know, some decent production. He's just a little long in the tooth in terms of age. Uh, but that is really his only... Uh, big issue, but um, honestly, I don't like the CDFA group that much. Uh, maybe because there's certain players that is I just were bad. I mean, Daniel Henry was just not a very good safety. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and mostly just guys that probably backups contributors with with uh, Ricard. Probably Ricard being the only guy who might actually become something interesting, possibly based on that athleticism and uh, production. Are probably not long for the NFL, so it sounds like. Oh, with who? It's, it sounds like you're saying that Ricard and Patrick are the best, the two with the best chance to contribute at the NFL level, and the rest are most likely not long for the league, is what it sounds like you're saying. Right. Pretty much. I would say him and Kubla now. Oh, Kublanau. Right. Possibly. But she's listed at tackle. The guy's six foot three people. Or yeah, six yeah. two even. He's six two. Ain't playing tackle. So no. whoever no, not me did this, six two don't play tackle. That ain't happening. Not in, no. Not in my been, house. No, it's been probably almost 70, or at least 60 plus years since it's been a high level starting tackle who was six foot two and chained or whatever he is in the NFL. It's been a long time. Exactly. So I, I would yeah, I would say those three and smoke Mazel, I mean, there's a chance you could get into that rotation, but it's a lot of competition. You know, when you have yes. three different backs like West and Tali you know, like a bunch of backs that are basically equal or similar uh like bring similar other than that, mainly athleticism, like that's the big advantage of the other backs having just athleticism because Mizell isn't as athletic as them, but he does have right production against higher level competition that was a little bit more impressive than what they did against lower level people. So uh, for West. So, yeah, I, I would say that that's another guy who could end up in the rotation, but most likely not just because of how many running backs they have on the roster already. Hmm. And that brings us to 
the bills of Buffalo. And amongst their undrafted signings included Jason Kroom, the uh, Tennessee tight end, B.T. Sanders, also Zach Voitek, Nigel Williams, Marquavius Lewis, Greg Pike from Georgia, who I like, Austin Rickow, Jeremy Tyler, Brandon Riley, Marcus Sales, Dykel Shorts, Keith Trowbridge, Jordan Johnson, wrapping up the class of UDFAs. Uh, a slightly smaller one than some of the others. And I mean, there's Pike. Um, Kroom is a decent prospect, but I don't think he's a future starter. Uh, I mean, once again, you know, you do some things that might maybe shed some more light, but I, I'm not blown away exactly by what I've just seen there. Right. Um, hmm. I guess, well, I don't, I don't really have it for me. But, I, yeah, none of those names really pop, I should say. Not not very many, but uh, <laughs> none of the names you mentioned kind of uh, stand out. In terms of that, and a very limited list uh, as well. So, which is strange because the Bills aren't exactly a bad football team, and they do have lots of positions that could be up for grabs. I guess you know, in terms of their defense and other sure. Like, there's not a ton of places that are just locked down completely when it comes to the, right. the Bills. Right. So. It sounds like, unless you know, I'm misunderstanding you, there's really not nothing there except maybe Pike. I mean, do you see anybody who has a chance to really contribute? Mm, not really. No, not with them. Not with that list you just you know you just mentioned. Okay. Well, that brings us to Canada Panthers. Um, once again, a smaller group. Uh, Austin Duke, uh, Brian Cox Jr., Fred Ross, who was another one of those, you know, kind of had to blink and rub my eyes like, wait, Brian Cox, I mean, Brian Cox Jr., Austin Duke, those are guys who should be undrafted free agents. Fred Ross, um, then Ben Bulware, Cole Luke, um, rounds out a very small group of undrafted free agent signings. But anybody there, I mean, obviously there's, I'm assuming this least one player kind of stands out, but you take me through that group and who do you think might contribute? Oh well, with with Fred Ross, that you know there were so many other wide receivers that got drafted over Fred Ross that I I was kind of up a little upset to be honest. <laughs> I mean, guys like Rodney Adams and Stacey Coley. And, like, there was a lot of wide receivers that were drafted over Fred Ross that I was, like, because, okay, Fred Ross, here's what you got. You got a SEC wide receiver with yeah. three-time Pro Bowl, well, actually five-time Pro Bowl production with <laughs> above-average athleticism across the board against SEC competition. 
and yeah. he's UDFA. How does that yeah, happen? I, like? I, I was going to ask if you had some sort of insight into what. Why don't people like him? I have no idea. I I really I. It doesn't make any sense to me why he wasn't drafted. Uh, so maybe there's character stuff. Maybe his they just didn't like his film. Which the only thing I can say about him that was worrisome was just that again he's a he's a small wide receiver that plays like a big wide receiver, which isn't always a knock on a guy. That isn't like the biggest knock on him. It just means he's he's a, a smaller wide receiver who likes to kind of bang it up and get aggressive at times. But I thought coaches liked that. So I didn't really understand why uh Fred Ross uh went uh UDFA, but other than maybe glancing at like if you just glance at his athleticism and you go, Oh, he ran four or five, that's not great, but he's two hundred and ten plus pounds and he ran four or five. So like everything kind of checks all the boxes in terms of like a long term starter or better with Fred Ross. So I was very surprised that he uh didn't uh didn't get a shot in terms of being drafted, so. Yeah, that's a, that was a head-scratcher. Um, other than Ross, who, yeah, stood out to me, anybody else you think has a chance to contribute? Well, yeah, other than Ross, uh, Ben Bulware, unfortunately, doesn't really have special athleticism traits. No, uh, he Cole, just has grit. Yeah, he just has grit and, uh, and a beard, so. But if you cut off his beard, he loses all his power. Uh, and then Cole Luke. Cole Luke has some intriguing athleticism, but his production just wasn't really that impressive. He was kind of a explosion flexibility athlete, kind of a which is like a classic zone corner kind of thing. Uh, but he, his production just wasn't really where it needs to be in terms of high quality outcomes. But he could be a starter. I mean, he has the athleticism at least to be a potential starter or a slot defender. So. That might be something there. But everybody else, I mean, Austin Duke is a very small wide receiver who wasn't that uh, athletic. And Brian Cox Jr. is, well, he's Brian Cox Jr. I mean, he's he's just not very productive and not very uh, athletic. Uh, so I would say Fred Ross is really the main guy to champion, I guess, from this uh, group. And I just hope he gets the opportunity. Because the Panthers have this situation where they have Kelvin Benjamin who apparently has weight problems or has, has always had weight problems actually but so he's there and then of course they have Devin Funches who they kind of want to believe like if you believe in him he'll become a good wide receiver I don't know how that works but that's kind of what they want to do with Funches even though he struggles mightily still his position uh, and then they just draft Curtis Samuel who of course is going to at least stamp down that slot receiver role, and then you have Fred Ross. But Fred Ross does fit with Cam Newton's personality as a as a, uh, as a a quarterback. So I think that might be like a perfect chemistry fit. It's just who's going to take the fall because of that. Is Devin Funches going to take the fall? Is Kelvin <laughs> Benjamin going to take the fall? You know, you know what I'm saying? So that, that's one thing I would say is Ross has the skills to pay the bills. It's just a matter of who's going to fall because of him being there. So that's really my big question for him. Right. And that brings us to Chicago, a team that really needs to get something out of its undrafted uh, free agent signing period because of what happened with the draft. And 
they gave $23,000 in guaranteed money to Freddie Stevenson, which I thought was fascinating. That may be the biggest signing bonus given to an Let me see. Maybe not. This is the biggest one I remember hearing about. There may be somebody who got more guaranteed money than that amongst the UDFAs. Oh, you know what? There was. Um, Cannon, actually, and Jimmy Gilbert. Actually, Jimmy Gilbert got the biggest undrafted free agent signing bonus of them all. It was actually Jimmy Gilbert. It was $62,000 in uh, guaranteed money. No, wait. Scratch that. Harvey <laughs> Lange got 115 115 really? Guaranteed money from New England. Really? Oh. Well, that's a lot of money for a 25-year-old. But... Yes, and for an undrafted. Well, I'll go say. But, yes, I guess also your point is that was as well. That's bad. That is no. by far. That is by tens of thousands of dollars the highest. By many tens of thousands of dollars. Like, that's there are guys who got drafted in the sixth round who aren't going to get $100,000 in nope. guaranteed money. That's an astonishing amount of money for any that is created. That, I don't think I've ever heard, and not to go back and set. I mean, maybe there's been guys where it's happened that have gotten that much or more, but I can't remember one. I mean, 60000 is a lot for an event created signing uh, bonus. I, I, don't think, I can't remember hearing about 164 in the past. And once again, maybe it'll slip past me. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. They must absolutely love that kid. He has some patriot-like stuff. <laughs> He's not Teddy yeah. Bruschi, but... No. No, he is not. Maybe they... I mean, Teddy... I don't know if you run Teddy's production stuff, but... Oh, I just know what I thought. Production stuff, fine. All, all I mean, that's fine. I thought it was, wasn't this production stuff ridiculous? Or maybe I'm just remembering incorrectly. It was all pro level, yeah. I mean, but it, you know, I don't know. I mean, most of the Patriot guys were great in terms of production and stuff like that. Um, Harvey Langey, not so much that. I don't I don't know how Bill Belichick does what he does. I mean, <laughs> he just does what he does. He can, He continually makes a competitive team with kind of draft picks. So, if you think about that, think about it that way, at least with me, I think about it that way. Like you, you don't really need to have a great draft to be a good football team. The Patriots prove that every year. So, um, for, for, you know, for the most part. So, but yeah, uh, in, ter- in terms, yeah, in terms of uh, the Bears, which their draft, which I, I just realized this too, Bill, with, with the Bears draft, just to get this kind of point out there. They had five picks and three of those five picks were players from a level of competition where only one percent those players usually hit. So <laughs> yes. Three of their players were from levels of competition where there's significantly less chances of success. Mind blowing. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> like and and you want to say the Lions draft is bad? I'm just saying whoever that guy is, obviously a Bears scout. But in terms of the UDFA guys, bringing it back to the Patriots, kind of, uh, you got Joseph is essentially Antonio Garcia athlete, and you got him as a UDFA. So you didn't have to 
been a, a day two pick on Antonio Garcia, you could have just got yeah. you got Joseph, who's exactly the same type of guy as Ashley. Exact same thing, uh, except longer arms. So there you go. His problem is he's not fast. He's not he's not flexible for his size, but he is explosive. So uh, their ZBS scheme, right? That's like the best case. Which I, I tell people this. We still don't live, but he's basically a tackle who really isn't going to do well if you have a quarterback who just stands back there and pass the football. But if you have a quarterback that gets rid of the, the football extremely quickly, uh, you know, very quick and short stuff, he can fit that kind of system. So he probably will end up being a starter there, possibly, uh, because he has that skill set to be. He's not going to be great. He's not going to be amazing. But, right. But, but still, if they get a starter out of him, that's a win. Yeah, that's a win. Freddie Stevenson. Freddie Stevenson, I assume, is going to be a starting fullback. I guess he's a starting fullback because he was the second. There was two fullbacks that were getting most of the attention. There was Freddie Stevenson, and then there was that the Virginia Tech fullback whose name escapes me. Sam um, Rogers. Sam Rogers. Right, Sam Rogers. So if you think about it like that, the top two fullbacks, by the consensus draft, you know, not consensus draft, but by the consensus of draft people. Uh, right. So I guess that's how they view him, I guess, which I, think I don't really do fullbacks. So I, I'll probably just do a quick thing on fullbacks anyways. And maybe the reason I don't do fullbacks is because just not very many of them get drafted. You know, the Virtually none. I think, and most of one them every, become starters. What has it been, two, two in the past five years or three in the past five years? It's been very low. Is very low, like around there. And besides that, fullback is also a position where there is just sort of an odd sort of like money-wise, Vinifo doesn't really invest. I don't know. There's a lot of weird things about that position. So it's just this odd sort of – it's like worse than like kickers and punters because at least every team needs 32 of them, you know. But with fullback, <laughs> it's a different story. Like not every team needs a fullback. So nowadays – most don't. Yeah, most and, don't. And so, even the ones who who do occasionally need one, instead of drafting a fullback or getting a guy who was a fullback, they'll get you know an undersized linebacker. Or a, I mean, I saw people listing Ewan Price on their rankings at fullback. It's like, oh, <laughs> save us all. <laughs> fullback. Uh, that's what they do, Bill. That's what the NFL does. They take a perfectly uh, decent pass rusher. And turn him into a fullback. And people I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. It hurt my soul watching Bruce Miller, who I know he probably would not have been a pro bowler as a pass rusher, but I guarantee you he would have been more interesting to watch had you let sure. him be a designated pass but rusher. And the foe doesn't care about that. They care about whatever they care. They want to take a perfectly good quarterback and turn him into a wide receiver because reason. Like, they do the weirdest things. And and as a as a player, I understand you have to, you, you know, if you don't have a choice, you don't have a choice. Like nobody wants you as a quarterback; they just want you as a wide receiver. All right, I'll get this money, but I don't know if this is going to work out for me long term. So like you're in a very weird spot, I, you know, but whatever. But you know, because you're in a situation where like you know what, this isn't going to work out long term, but this is what they want me to do. I guess trust the team, <laughs> you know, type of situation. Uh, but yeah, Stevens. I mean, Stevenson is 
Like the only I, a couple other guys. I mean, uh, uh, Rashad, Rashad Coward uh, has at least some decent production, some decent athleticism traits. He might end up being something interesting there too. And I think the one guy, the second guy to like Joseph, who might become a starter is Tanner Gentry from Wyoming, uh, who is a pretty decent wide receiver himself, has decent production, decent athleticism uh, traits. Uh, so I, I would well, say those would be. How does he yeah. compare to Cooper Cup, who a lot of people fell in love with? Well, he's he's better than Cooper Cup. He's more athletic than Cooper Cup. He has pretty much the same type of production, except his production is against a higher level of competition. Um, yeah. You know, at Wyoming, which is saying something, but it, it is technically a higher level of competition. Well, uh, it is a higher level of competition. It's just it no is. one seems to pay much. Well, unless you're Josh Allen, no one's going to pay much attention. Well, like, production-wise, he scored 90.43 in terms of uh, passing yards market share production, uh, which was at Wyoming, but it's good. Uh, and that's pretty much the same type of production that Cooper Cup had. It's just Cooper Cup's production was against you know, lower-level division stuff. And in terms of athleticism, Tanner Gentry was 86.86 in terms of explosiveness, 51.69 in terms of speed, and 22.76 in terms of uh, flexibility. So they're like polar opposite athletes. Cup was not explosive, not fast, but flexible. And Gentry is explosive, fast, but not the most flexible. So they're like opposite, opposite white guys. Um, <laughs> you know, Got it. but I don't know. People don't watch Tanner Gentry. People don't watch Wyoming. Apparently all they watch is Josh Allen. What blows my mind? People watch Josh Allen. If you're watching Josh Allen, how are you not seeing Tanner Gentry? He's throwing the ball to either he or Hollister. I know. But <laughs> Josh Allen stuff is, uh, yeah, I don't want to take the rails, but, you know, we, we can get into that in a different show. But Josh Allen stuff is hit peak, uh, rolling my head, shaking my head status with Josh Allen. I'm just saying that, right? Like the comparisons, Brett Favre now. Derek Carr now, like, what, where are we going, people? Comparing Josh Allen to Derek Carr, so but that's that's happening. Has anyone invoked? Has anyone invoked Jevin Sneed yet? Because that well, might be a name we're we'll talking about there. Even Jevin Sneed is more. And then of course you have George Whitfield, which thing? Which I'm going to be doing a, a video about you, George Whitfield. I'm not going to call you a fraud, but. My the way I judge a quarterback guru is a guy that can take a terrible quarterback and make him into a good quarterback. He's not exactly done that, you know. Oh. Basically, it's really it, to be a quarterback coach is really easy when you have Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, and Jameis Winston as you as the guys you're coaching. But if you could take a eh, quarterback and turn him into something, then you do. Then you do. I don't know. So that that's my point. Oh. I'm not to say that you're a terrible quarterback guru. It's just, again, good quarterback gurus are people that can are magical. Like the people we talk about like who are magical and can do these amazing things, they should at least prove that they can take a bad quarterback and turn them into a good quarterback, which is something that doesn't always happen consistently. It's a whistle. But, yeah, the Bears, I'll tell you this much, the Bears UDF group is much better than the group that they actually drafted. You know? <laughs> Well, there's that. Um, so, if you're if we're just being honest, because you got a you got basically a guy that I think is it could be a starter and tackle. You got a fullback who I assume is going to be a starter, 
and you got Tanner Gentry who's going to be a starter. So you basically got more starters as UDFAs than you did. This is almost like the Colts draft that one year, honestly. Uh-huh. That's how it, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Where they had more starters than they had guys they drafted. Right, as they drafted. That's right. Was Zach Kerr in that class? Yeah, Zach Kerr. I thought so, yes. I remember. Yeah, we bonded pretty hard over the Zach Kerr thing. Once again, I was just blown away by the fact that he wasn't drafted because guys that look like him and play like him are hard to find and getting harder to find. Yep. Yeah, so the Bears are just... Yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I think Rashad Coward has a chance partially because sort of we sort of like what we just said with Zach Kerr, though he's not as consistent or as dominant as Kerr was, but he, I mean, his physical profile is unusual, to say the least. And he's a guy that, I mean, if people want to make this, make excuses about a guy just figuring it out and he's going to, people love to say, you know, there'll be a better pro than he was a collegiate. That's said way too often, in my opinion, Chip. It doesn't seem to happen as often as people think it does. No, it doesn't. And when you data, you, you see it. That's the thing is the perspective, the data perspective. So basically it's perspective that you have one perspective where everybody's a special little snowflake. Then you have the data perspective where you realize everybody's the same, everybody is the same, and it's all just dust and dirt, you know, like we're all made out of the same molecules. But, you know, it's – um, I will, I will say that much about the Bears is there is lots of opportunities on that Bears defense to get jobs. Like, that's just yes. basically what it is when it comes to that defense. So, I would say that's the best thing for that group. But none of the UDFA guys they got, other than, yeah, Coward, uh, kind of fits. Because, like, they have Akeem Hicks as a team there and uh, Mitch Uring uh, and Jonathan Bullard is still going to yep. maybe, maybe Jonathan Bullard becomes something, maybe. Right, because people are big fans of him. And of course, Eddie Goldman is a nose tackle, which to this day I still don't get. He doesn't play like a nose tackle. Yeah. No. Um, I don't know, but in terms of like the classic nose tackle position, which people forgot about, but yeah, so there's lots of opportunities there, but no other guys are really except for tackle. I mean, the tackles for the Bears just to get they have Charles Leno. Yeah, I think it works. And then they got Bobby Massey. So, but both of those guys are shaking. I would love to kick Massey in. I would love to kick Massey. I know, you know, inside the guard, if you could find a tackle to replace him. Right. Exactly. And of course, at the wide receiver position, uh, they have Kevin White, who's healthy. Mm-hmm. Right. Healthy, right? I, I guess. Uh, and That's then, what I'm hearing. Uh, yes. And then of course, Marcus Wheaton. Uh, Cameron Meredith, who's kind of the same. And then I guess they have Ruben Randall. And Kendall Wright. And it's, they've got some wide receivers, but Tanner Gentry could fit somewhere in there. Yes. So. Yeah. But, hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's a be- it's okay. Yeah. Like I said, it's better than their actual draft. So. Sorry, Bears fans. I'm actually about to do the thing on them. Hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. You know, so there's some hope, is what it sounds like to say, for the Bears and their fans in terms of, you know, some guys who should contribute and possibly even start amongst that group. And uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. oh, you mean the Cincinnati Bengals? Yep. So, I do like Terrell Ham- Ham- Hamilton. Hardy Nickerson Jr. is a guy that I like. Jarvion Williams is a guy that I think has a, has a chance as well, sort of a third down back. Uh, Stephen Carter is a guy that a lot of people seem to like. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, Stephen Carter and then Demetrius Cox from Mississippi State. So, let's see. Uh, Monty Medeiros, Boom Williams, yeah. Nathan uh, Leckler. Monty Medeiros, no offense. Um, I've seen him on tape, but I can't, I can not pull up a single memory. My brain has no... Like, I have a memory. There's nothing. I, I can Notre, okay, Notre, Notre Dame, and mm-hmm. he was blocking for okay. Shelton. Okay, that's it. Okay, okay. So I was he executes his blocks pretty well. Not like that's all I remember. So I just remember oh, blocking, cool. and then he caught yeah, a couple yeah. flat passes and ran like four seven up the field. So. Low nice. There. You know, not not much there. Um, Kent Perkins is looking at D tackle. What? Okay. All right. Well, in terms of this group, it's actually not that bad. Stanley Boone Williams is, is basically well. His big issue is just where does he fit with that running back group? Because they already have a lot of running backs. So Joe Mixon and Jamie Hill and the North Carolina. You know, like they have a lot of facts. Um, yeah. Josh Tupoy could be a nose tackle. Maybe well, they already have a nose tackle. So like that's kind of a odd sort. Of, well, not really odd, but there, there's a thing like Demato Pico. Maybe he takes his job. Maybe but he's been there forever. So it's like he just continues yeah. to have a job. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Like I don't, I don't know about that. Carol Hamilton was a wide receiver that actually I, I liked a decent a bit, but there's a ton of wide receivers in Cincinnati already. That's kind of hard for them to kind of break in. Justin Stanton is may, tackle. You may have to make it someplace else. So I think you will stick right. with the roster. Just right. maybe not that one. Uh, Justin Stanton is one tackle that was probably one of my lowest graded tackles ever because he had film that was just terrible. Um, it was, a, it was a low light type of game, and then Stephen Carter is very popular amongst some people. But yes, I will tell you this much: he does very good sprint manipulation. You know, he, he's very good at you know getting the full speed, and then uh, getting you know get, basically getting that cornerback to either you know turn his hips upfield and then break it back down. Like he's good at that, but that's about it, you know, in terms of, like, so I guess if you're that guy that's really into that, 
like tight ends actually try to do some manipulation, I guess, with their routes. He does a little bit of that, but he's an H-back tight end. And the number one thing I keep saying about H-back tight ends, the NFL doesn't know what to do with them consistently. They just, you're not big enough to really hold up as a blocker, so we don't want you out there because you're going to get our quarterback killed, and we don't really need you as, as a wide receiver because we have these slot wide receivers that we just like more than you because they're faster, quicker. So that's the only issue with that. Uh, of course, they get Demetrius uh, Cox from Michigan State. I didn't even realize he was in this draft, but yeah, I guess so. And of course, Hardy Nickerson. I would, and Kent Perkins is here. Kent Perkins was a guy that, in terms of his athleticism, he was impressive. Uh, he had a 90-plus explosion score in oh. terms of his explosiveness. So that's that's a positive. In fact, he had a oh, 99.86 explosion score for Kent Perkins. Really? Yeah. He had a 35-inch vertical, and he's 6'5", 320 pounds. That is unusual. <laughs> Very unusual. So uh, he at least has that going for him. It's kind of a ZBS uh, type of uh, offensive lineman. Uh, his film wasn't bad either, so he was injured a lot, though. That's the only thing I could say. Um, it sometimes went to repeat viewing. He wasn't there because he was hurt, but um, I mean, it's not a bad group. I mean, the, the Bengals had a really good draft, so the UDFA group doesn't have to be amazing, at least to me, but they, I mean, they did get at least some decent guys that could become uh, you know, depth kind of guys. But I don't really see any of these guys really becoming a starter, though, just because of the people that's in front of them, really. Uh, it's kind of hard to kind of break into that uh, group when it comes to competition. Right, right. But that brings us next to the Browns, who, of course, you know, with the afterglow coming from their draft. <laughs> Uh, He's not happy. He's not happy with the Browns, man. I, I thought that was funny. Well, they got some guy uh, as an undrafted free agent. Oh, yeah. So get, go ahead, Jim. Oh. I was just going to say, Pete, Pete's funny because he thinks that the way they drafted is they went all analytics in the first three rounds and then did coaching stuff, like to let coaches have picks and stuff like that, which maybe that's what they did. But, you know, isn't that what you're supposed to do? I don't know. Like, isn't that kind of what well, you're supposed to do? Well, a lot of teams do something similar to that, you know, where, you know, three rounds, you know, the front office micromanage, not, you know, not only manages, but micromanages the, you know, first three rounds. And then they may not just turn to the coach and say, who do you like, but they probably are willing to listen more to the coaches in rounds, you know, four and five and maybe even six. And then very often in the both, you know, seventh and what I call the eighth round, you both in the seventh and then the undrafted eighth state time period, you're turning to the scouts at that point, you know, and the scouts pretty much take over when you get to that point in the process. Now the coaches have paid little to no attention to those players at that point in the board. I mean, there's some exceptions, but often that's the case. Yeah. And in some Which cases, that's actually amazing to me. Yeah, I know. I know. 
But you remember that, coaches I mean, live in a bubble. <laughs> coaches live in a bubble. I get that aspect, but I tell most people, which is that coaches, when it comes to the very beginning of the season, not in the very, like right now, until the end of the season, and even when the season ends, they're reviewing everything. You know, they're reviewing all the players that are about to be free agents. They're reviewing, you know. So, like, it's busy. So I get that. I just It just amazes me that, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I basically, I'm like, I was telling, I was just joking with Pete because I'm like, don't criticize them too much because, like, it kind of makes sense, you know. Like, let the scouts have their say, right? And if they're wrong, they get fired. So, well, not fired, but we'll come over here. But, you yeah. know, like, that's why you're a scout. You know, you have to put your dick on the line, do stuff like that. Uh, but, of course, they don't really do data stuff. Well, I don't know. I've never – I haven't met any scouts that actually do a bunch of data stuff. I've heard scouting more often than data But, yeah, when it comes to the – yeah, when it comes to the Browns GFAs, uh, Kainakua, I think, is a decent safety in terms of yeah, athleticism and production. Of course, you're going to say Carter Schultz. But – He's got a lot of competition, man. He's got Miles Garrett, he's got Oba, he's got lots of people that he's not going to uh, take their job. So, um, Jimmy Stribling has linked. That's about it. Um, Josh uh, Boot had decent testing at LSU, but everybody has decent testing at LSU. Surprises me. Uh, J.D. Harmon is a cornerback that I actually like a bit in terms of ball skills. He had pretty decent ball skills on film. Uh, production isn't that great. Athleticism isn't really that great, but he at least maybe he becomes a slot defender. And, but yeah, that's really not it. Um, of course, Taylor McNamara, if Donovan was on the show, he'd be like, why are you forgetting Taylor? Well, because he's... <laughs> Taylor's a funny guy, though, because his his film in terms of pra- his practice film is much more impressive than his in-game film. Like when I was watching film on Taylor, you know, McNamara, uh, there was some cut-ups and different stuff in terms of practice and also just watching just practice, you know, stuff. Uh, from USC. He was, he just looked better in practice than he did during actual game. So I don't know really what that does, but I mean, there's, potential there, but the tight end position, there's pretty much, so, I mean, they had David Njoku and Seth D-Valve and whatever they're doing there, so I don't really think there's much of a, but Kainakua is probably the only guy I think has a good shot to possibly break into that starting uh, safety thing, because right now their starting safeties are, you know, Abraham Campbell and Ed Reynolds is their other safety, so he could take Ed Reynolds' spot. I could see kind of cool doing that. So, but, you know, we'll see. But that, that's the one spot I think is possible that could be taken. Gotcha. Well, if the Browns fans... Uh, Pete or, you know, whether Pete's amongst them or not, if they were looking for a reason to be excited, it sounds like kind of cool is that reason. Is that my understanding correctly? Yep. No, because he, he has the best chance to be a star. 
other guys, I mean, I don't, again, I don't hate Carter Schultz, but he's not going to break into that lineup. Like, Oh no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a probably as big a Carter Schultz fan as there is, but that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot for him to deal with. It's a lot to ask a man to, to overcome. So. Yep. And then that brings us to other Gamors, uh, Dallas, which, uh, Brought in Blake Jarwin, Nate Beaker, Woody Barron, Dan Skipper, who is extremely tall, Michael Coe, Levon Myers, Brian Brown, Joe Jones, Keenan Gilchrist, Louis Neal, uh, Cooper Rush, Lucas Waha, uh, the brother of the pitcher, and running back Jahad Thomas, Hunter, Sam Irwin-Hill. And the person getting the majority, well, I see the majority, I guess the only person they gave, to whom they gave a signing bonus was uh, Blake Jarwin, who got 15 grand. So, not that always means something, but it, it means he, he clearly thinks he probably has a better chance than the others. But tell me, uh, based on what you do and what you've seen, what do you think of that group? Well, Blake Jarwin is, does not have a Okay, Blake Jarwin is not very productive. He's not extremely athletic. He played Oklahoma State. Yes. Jerry Jones is watching Big 12 football, and he said, I like that, Blake, Blake Jarwin. He's from he's from uh, Big 12 country. So, um, <laughs> that's all I can There he is. <laughs> so, that's all I could really think. Uh, you know, I Woody Barron, as a three-tech, I mean, there's some potential there. He's a little undersized, but his production was okay. His athleticism was okay. Nothing's really going to happen with Dan Skipper. He's really tall and really unathletic, uh, despite what people say about the Miles Garrett thing. All I saw was the guy basically Miles Garrett getting hurt and then Dan Skipper kind of being helped by that. Um, LeVon Myers had some potential athleticism. It's kind of intriguing. Uh, Lewis Neal was always about, even on the LSU, well, yeah. I mean, Lewis Neal had some potential to be a starter, possibly, because of athleticism. Uh, Lucas from Wyoming had potential to be a starter. And Cooper Rush just makes sense because he could be end up being a backup as a, as a uh, West Coast quarterback. Because right now they have Dak Prescott, and that's Kellen Moore. Yeah, Kellen Moore. So, Cooper Rush, I could see working for that quarterback spot because he kind of fits that mold of a West Coast quarterback. So, um, yeah, I would say the big, I would say the big, the guys that I think would have a good shot of possibly doing something is Levon Myers and uh, and uh, Woody Barron, but everybody else is just kind of yeah. So. Got it. Okay. Got it. And, you know, once again, Dallas, sort of like the conversation we had almost, but not quite, with Atlanta or whatever. It's one of those programs where they have a sense that they're, you know, right there. They're at the the precipice on the borderline of achieving all their goals. And some teams, as we, you know, (laughs) we talked about with the Patriots, 
even when they've achieved a lot of success and not afraid to potentially do quite a bit in terms of turning their roster over, reshaping their roster, things like that. And other teams, you know, play a little safer. We'll see what happens. And that brings us now to the Broncos, who brought in Damonte Thomas, Carol Garcia-Williams, Dante Barnett, Cameron Hunt, Anthony Nash, Ken Ickenham, Marcus Rios, Eric Ostell, also Josh Banderas, Orion Stewart, Dion Hollins, Shakir Soto, Kyle Floater, Tyreek Jarrett, and Jamal Carter to uh, wrap it all up. And they did not give anybody a sign for us. <laughs> but uh, tell me about that group. And obviously there's at least one player that sort of stands out, at least in, in my mind. But tell me about that group as you see them and, and who has a chance to, to contribute and perhaps, you know, perhaps even more, if any. Right. Well, I, I wouldn't say the Broncos are at the, the white, you know, dwarf stage, but, you know, they're – the UDFA group is just not very strong. Um, none of those guys really stick out as potential starters. Ben Keenum isn't really going to break into that pass rushing group that well, even though he has some interesting things. Eric Ostell might be decent as a guard, though, uh, for them. Uh, Ryan Stewart is listed at cornerback, but he's safety. Not yeah. on the line, he's listed at cornerback. Shakir Soto has some interesting film. Kyle Slaughter was kind of a guy that draft Twitter kind of got onto late for some reason. And then Jamal Carter is, well, Jamal Carter. So, there's a couple. I mean, Eric Costell is probably the most likely guy. Yep. If you kind of break in as a guard there, but the rest of the group is just kind of like their draft class, which is a lot of air. So I would say that Costell is probably the only guy that has like a strong chance of doing that, doing much of anything in terms of group. Yeah, I mean, I, I am a person that likes Kyle Slaughter, and I probably liked him a little further back than most. But I don't think he's a great fit there for them, but I think he could. And once again, you know, the term the dump middle quarterback is one that we sort of use with a certain amount of air quotes. So whatever you want to use, the NFL has had changes that have happened in the last few years that have made it extremely difficult to truly develop quarterbacks. I mean, a guy who's not close to ready to get him ready has become more challenging. It's never easy, but it's become even more difficult. But I could see him, if not here, then somewhere being on a practice squad and maybe somebody getting at least a reserve out of him. And you mentioned the the much debated and sometimes much castigated Detroit draft class. They brought in Jeremiah uh, Bloega, also Brandon Barnes, who is a guy that I, I kind of like, and they gave a lot of guarantees, not a lot, but a good amount of guarantees. Uh, they gave 36000 to Alex Barrett. They gave thirty to Josh Thornton. Twenty-two to Valoaga. Yeah, uh, or Valoaga, I think it actually is And 20000 to Brandon Barnes, which is 
unusual to see that much guaranteed money uh, spread amongst that number of players. Then yeah. we have uh, Nick James, Mississippi State, Tyon Green, Cincinnati, Robert Twinning Jr. from uh, Indiana State, Des Lawrence, who I kind of like, uh, from Carolina, Maurice Swain Jr., Auburn, Noel Thomas uh, from Connecticut, who has a couple of wow plays and then don't see him again for sometimes it seems like, you know, a significant portion of the season. Uh, then you've got Leo Kalamatengi. Then you've got uh, Dorm Norton. There we go. There you go. Uh, Michael Rector, who is a speedster from Stanford, wraps it all up. So what do you see there? And, and once again, who do you think has a chance to be a contributor? And, and maybe if there's somebody, you might have a chance to be more. Right. Um, I, I would I would say Storm Norton's probably the most likely guy to break into that group. I still don't get why Storm Norton didn't get drafted. He basically has the profile of a high-quality tackle, has above-average speed, above-average flexibility for his size, and film wasn't that bad either. She just played at Toledo. So in a class that is supposedly weak at tackle, and that's at least how the, team, how the NFL treated it, for him to right. be undrafted is strange since yeah. he was one of the better tackles in the class. So, um, I mean, you I can think debate when we, about, our, when we did our show, what, he going the fourth? Yeah, around there, fourth or fifth. So, um, yeah, somewhere in the hundreds, 100 and something, 120 or 30 something. But, yes, right, I, I remember, right. you know, that. And it was a, very much a surprise to me that, I mean, I thought for sure when he made it, you know, into the out of the sixth round, it's like okay, he's been playing with the first ten picks in the second. Is what I remember thinking, and you know, he obviously was not. Right. The only issue he has is he's on the line. Um, who <laughs> half Taylor Decker? So that yes. that spot's there, and they have Ricky Wagner, and they paid a bunch of money to. So right, but. Every team needs a swing tackle. Sure. But, like, why is he? I, I don't want her to be a swing tackle. I want her to be a starter. So, like, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, okay. I don't want her to get Jake Fisher. I want him to be an actual starter and then get high praise and stuff. So, that's all I'm saying. Like, sure, he could be a swing tackle. He's better than Cornelius Lucas, who's still there. But, he is. He has very long arms. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that's all. That's all. I'm, I mean, in turn, yeah, in terms of their group, they, some of this is just athletic. That's the thing about the Lions, man. They put a lot of stock into athleticism, but don't pay attention. Again, the NFL, for whatever reason, does analytics, but they do it in weird, mysterious ways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's sort of like where, you know, I get people that say, well, your team is going to be like Al Davis. You just going to have great athletes who don't do anything. And I'm like, yeah, but the one thing Al Davis didn't really pay attention to much later on in his years was production and stuff like that. So I'm kind of better than Al Davis in terms of my approach, you know, because, like, I'm trying to look at all the all the variables. So, but, hmm. 
Uh, that's all I could say. Is the Lions are some of this is really just going after athletes versus what they did production wise. So because um, like Brandon Barnes, he was a guy who athletically was okay, but production wise was not really there, and his level of competition too. So those all the state. But um, yeah, but I would say that Noel Thomas was a guy who was productive, but his athleticism was kind of. Um, and also film-wise was, like you said, a guy that kind of showed up sometimes and then just disappeared. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, I would say Stormer is probably the only guy that I think might be a decent contributor long-term, but I hope he goes to another team. So, of course, maybe he gets cut, but I, you know, I, I don't know. I just want him, I don't want him to get Jake Fisher, but apparently that's what's going to happen. Well, nonetheless, you know, whatever happens, I think he's going to make that team and, and see some, some time, even if it's not starter. You know, so Detroit fans or, you know, even non-Detroit fans, I think, would say that they got at least one really good value there in getting, you know, as you said, a guy that I thought was a top, you know, 150, maybe even top, yeah, I would say definitely top 150 talent at that point. Then that brings us to the Packers of Green Bay, who have also a team that's sort of an unusual way of going, sometimes to me, an unusual way of going about doing what they do. I'm not sure exactly what the driving core principle is and how they go after these players. But uh, Aaron Taylor, Ball State, David Talley, the uh, – Stevenson slash outside linebacker Grant Valley. Then you have William Stanback, Central Florida, Rashawn Pringle from Southern Utah. So a lot of Southern Utah defensive backs of one sort or another are playing their way into the NFL. Then you've got Kobe Phillips, Charlotte, Marshall Clark, Marshall, the uh, tackle from Richmond, Thomas Evans, Lindsey Pipkins, from Oklahoma State, David Rivers III from Youngstown State. A lot of uh, FCS guys, or a good number of FCS guys. I think that's, what, four? Let me see. And then Cody Hyman, who's D2 from Washburn. So let me just take a look here. So that's, yeah, Grandma State, David Talley, Sean Pringle, Thomas Evans, David Rubbers, third. Jeff Gray from Manitoba. I don't know how you classify that, but it's definitely not FBS. Uh, then you've got Cody Heyman from um, from Washburn. Yeah. They didn't go big school with uh, both Aaron Tech from Fresno and Adam Pankey from West Virginia, then you, who I think is the son of Earth Pankey. You've got Don Teller Brown from Red State, another small schooler. Then you've got uh, I think it is pronounced Isaiah Lunsford. You've got Taysom Hill, the whatever it is he's going to be, quarterback slash hacker. Yeah, actually, because he seems yeah. like a packer. He looks like a packer. Oh. <laughs> right. So he might compete with, you know, their, with Hundley, their existing number two. He might contribute on special teams. I don't know. Who knows what he's doing. Then you've got... Jonathan Calvin from Mississippi State and uh, Derek Hart 
from the long snapper, from James Madison to round it all out. To me, it seems like I think Kingman might have a shot. Uh, Rivers maybe have a shot because his secondary is in the world's greatest. Uh, Donald Brown has a slightly less stuff of a shot. Lindsey Pickens, I think, might have an outside shot. But uh, tell me what do you see there based on that group and, and who do you think has a chance to be? You know, stick, stay, and possibly even Scott, well, not star, but stick, stay, and, you know, play at least. Right. Well, uh, they do have a couple guys uh, that kind of stick. Adam Pankey is basically like a more athletic Willie Beavers. So, like, that is something that could work. Uh, Thomas Evans from Richmond, in terms of athleticism, he scored 88.84 in terms of explosiveness for his size, 78.70 in terms of speed for his size, and 78.20 when it comes to flexibility for his size. So, he's a pretty good athlete overall. Uh, as a guard, inside guard position guy, so that might help them out a lot because they lost most of their interior offensive line people. So I think Thomas Evans and Panky might be guys that could potentially help them out in, inside for their team because they didn't really address that in the draft. So, um, but yeah, those two guys I think would probably be the best sort of uh, stuff. Jonathan Calvin from Mississippi State might contribute a little bit. He's kind of a lengthy kind of guy. Wasn't really that productive, kind of average athlete, but they right. seem to really like him for some reason. Most of the rumors going into the most of the rumors going into the draft was Jonathan Calvin, Jonathan Calvin, Jonathan Calvin type stuff. So, um, yeah, that's 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 basically that. Of course, Jeff Gray. I have no athletic testing, so I really don't know about Jeff Gray. If he didn't, it wasn't reported. But um, yeah, I think it's a pretty solid group, and I think the guys again, like Panky and uh, yeah, Jeff Gray and Thomas Evans, those are guys who legitimately could end up contributing inside, and that's the one spot where they're like really weak right now. So, um, which is a problem because if you don't have a very good interior offensive line, it doesn't matter if you're Aaron Rodgers you're going to constantly get pressure up the middle. It's not good. So um, right. hopefully those, hopefully at least one of those three guys ends up becoming a starter or something yeah. like that. You know? something, yes. Right. Right. And what's the great in Green Bay is another perennial contender, a team that thinks it's, you know, just a handful of players away from being in a position to hoist the Lombardi. And we'll see if it wants to pull that off. Um, sometimes, you know, once again, that's if, you know, bring up Malcolm Butler again, but sometimes you're once, if you are just like a player or two away, sometimes you'll find that guy as an undrafted free agent. So, moving forward, and we have found some guys, at least I think we found some guys, so I think I have a chance. We'll get to a few more. As we plow forward. So as we examine the undrafted free agent signing class that just made its way onto the Houston Texans roster, you have Shaq Hill from Eastern Washington, the other 
receiver from Eastern Washington. Uh, Zach Conk, Stephen F. Austin, who I think was a transfer from someplace else, but don't uh, that much. I think oh, he played quarterback, right? I think he's a guy who played quarterback and was transferred. And, uh, but he might have been a quarterback somewhere else, transferred to Stephen F. Austin, and then played quarterback and some tight end, I think, while he was there. And he's now, I guess, a tight end. Uh, Tavon Murchison from Central Florida, D. Virgin. Speaking of all name team, West Alabama, uh, Jake Simonich from Utah State, Daniel Ross from Northeast Mississippi City College. That's right. That said, Northeast Mississippi City College. Then you've got Joselfo from North Carolina State, Riley McCarran, Iowa Dimitrik Camiel from Indiana, Avery Williams, Temple. You're right, Dylan Colton. Uh, Dylan Cole from Missouri State, uh, Dare Ombawale from Wisconsin. Then you've got Matt Godin from Michigan, Justin Hardy from Illinois. Another guy who I have memories of, I mean, I watched, but nothing very specific. Then we've got Blake Smith, staying the state. Dan Pratt, Carolina, and to wrap it up, we have Gila Enku from UCLA. Based on what you do, some of the things that you've seen, who are some of the players that are once again, that need to respond to you might have a shot to start or help the team. Well, looking at the group, I mean, Dylan Cole is, is yeah, that's where Dylan Cole is. At least that's what it says. Wow. I don't know if it's true. But Dylan Cole is there. So that adds to their linebacker group, potentially, you know, with Zach Cunningham and then the guy with long arms, who people were saying was a pass rusher in Mississippi State. And then they also got Dare Gumbawali, who is change pace back, basically. Kind of what, mm-hmm. you know, the pass catching back, if you will. I didn't, there, there's nothing really pointing towards, like, NFL starting with him, but hey, that's he's a committee back, so there, he, he could contribute in that way. Uh, Diane Pratt is a guy who's very similar to the Mississippi State Jonathan Calvin guy. Like, they're very similar in terms of, like, lengthy, undersized pass rusher guys. And Eli Ankoy is the bear trap, nose tackle, defense tackle guy that I originally coined that term for. He's athletic, but he's not productive. But I would say the only guy who really sticks out the most is, is Dylan Cole, and the rest of the guys are just kind of guys uh, mm-hmm. in terms of you know, uh, profile. And Zach Conk, if you just look at his athleticism numbers, on paper, you go, oh, he's pretty athletic, but he's 230 pounds, like right. 235, well, I think. If you me correctly. Yeah. Well, when he tested, he was like 235 or something like that. So, like, yeah, or 240-ish. So, like, that, the, his numbers are good if the guy was 255 or 265, but he's 20 pounds less. Which just happens every year, Bill. You get a cornerback or a safety or a tight end that puts up good raw numbers, 
but they're like 20 pounds away, or say, but they're 10 pounds away from being 10 pounds away, if you know what I'm saying. So Right, I got you. Those guys kind of show up at that. He's kind of one of those guys. Not to say that he's like completely unathletic. It's just for some people that look at his step and go, wow, this is an amazing athlete compared to other players, not necessarily because he's like 20 pounds lighter than everyone else. So it's like the whole Randy Gregory thing. Like you look at his raw numbers and go, wow, he had a six, you know, under seven three count and did this, he did, you know, yeah, but he's 235 pounds. This isn't Justin Houston. This is Randy Gregory, you know. Justin Houston is 265-ish, 270-ish, and Randy Gregory is 235-ish. Like, that's a big difference you're talking about. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, Justin Houston was that size probably towards the middle of his freshman year, <laughs> I mean, in college. Uh, he's, yeah, yeah, different, clearly different body types. So, Houston has found at least one guy we feel strongly will contribute, and the rest of them are sort of guys who are probably would be very lucky if you to make the, make the, the team. And that brings us now to an interesting group. So Indianapolis only gave guaranteed money to one of the guys that they brought in. And of all people, it is the place kicker, which I find interesting. Right. When you do, so when you do see that happen, it usually means something. So amongst the players they brought in, Rigoberto Sanchez, a kicker from Hawaii, Jojo Natson, and they doubled up. Uh, they brought in basically all the draft-eligible Akron wide receivers. They followed up Matson with Jerome Lane. Then Thomas Tennessee. They, as you'll see, they later doubled up on long snappers. They really must have felt they needed help at that position. Uh, then you also have Chris Wiles, a corner from Mississippi, Reggie Porter, a corner from Utah. Garrett Sickles, the some-dual female sort of a five-technique type. From Penn State, Trey Griffey. That is indeed son of Hall of Famer and the grandson of a really, you know, Hall of really good uh, player in Kim Griffey Sr. Then you've got Jerry uh, Ugokwe from William & Mary, a guy who got some sort of late buzz pre-draft, Chris Miller, uh, Muller, sorry, from Rutgers, Dalton Croissant from New Hampshire, Bug Howard from North Carolina, Justin Thomas from Iowa State, Brandon Radcliffe from Louisville, Deshaun Bond from Cincinnati, and here's an interesting, I thought it was an interesting pickup, uh, PJ, a.k.a. Philip Walker from Louisville. Deshaun Bond, Cincinnati. Why oh, I just said that? Sorry. Um, and Daryl Davis, tight end from Washington. Joe Fortunato from Louisville, the other long snapper. They doubled up, as I mentioned. And last but not least, another attempt to convert a power forward to tight end, Mo Ali Cox from Virginia Commonwealth, who I think was something like 15 the last time he played or something. I think it's competitive football, so we'll see how that works out. But tell me about this group, what you see, what you feel, what you think. 
Well, I think it's a pretty decent group. Uh, you know, uh, Sanchez from Hawaii. He's fans of the yeah. kickers I've interviewed. I haven't interviewed that many kickers this year, but most of the kickers, when I ask them, which kickers do you like to watch? They usually go Zane Gonzalez, and then immediately after Sanchez. So, I guess that's good. But so, so there's some kickers or fans of him, somewhat. Some kickers. Okay. Uh, JoJo Matson and Jerome Lane. Matt's Lane has some interesting athleticism, but production is kind of. Eh. Uh, Reggie Porter as a cornerback. As a zone corner, I think there's some possibility there with him. Um, but he does have a lot of competition on the roster, so that's that's really the tough part with him. And Brennan Ratcliffe is well, kind of Brennan Ratcliffe. I don't really think he's going to uh, break in 100%. And that, yeah, that's really about it. Um, the rest of the guys are Trey Griffey, Jr., is a guy that you sign because you want to meet Trey Griffey, I guess. Yeah, or say what's up, or I don't know. But I didn't really understand the love with Trey Griffey Jr. So, well, um, and I think you nailed part of it. I mean, he's, you know, Kim Griffey the third or whatever. So I think that that probably does excite people to a certain extent. And he, he does he flashed some body control at times, but he he didn't really produce as you pointed out. And he's not a super athlete. I mean, I don't remember him running away from anybody ever. Yeah. So I mean there's yeah. You know, there's you know, from a production standpoint it's just really not gonna happen. Bug Herod is a guy who athletically he's he's athletic, uh, but his production just never quite hit starter level so with most of the North Carolina guys. So that that's been my only sort of issue with Buck Howard. Like he's always had flashes of uh what he could become but and he's also had some big games but he just never had like he maybe had a he he would have like one game with a hundred yards and then the next five games he'd only have like thirty yards, you know. So it's just kind of a you know, odd sort of thing with him. And uh Deshaun and Deshaun Bond has, uh, on film-wise, there, there's some interesting sort of things with Deshaun Bond from Cincinnati. But, um, you know, it's not a terrible group, but there's a lot of guys where they're going to have, like Reggie Porter is a guy that could could become a starter, but there's a lot of competition in front of him. Jerome Lane could be a starter, but there's also a lot of competition in front of him, too. So these are guys that, because of the players that they have to win the job from, I don't necessarily see them winning the job from the players that they have to win the, 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 uh, their position from. So, Oh, what? You're kind of breaking up a bit. Really 
Oh, hello? That was my question with those. Like, I, I'm not always sure why. I mean, I'm sure there's, like I said, we, but it just seems those guys were both those guys, both Braverman and... Uh, Maybe the most recent one of guys that I think would have truly benefited from being in school their seniors. True. And that brings us to the Jaguars. And the Jaguars brought in Justin Horton, and he didn't have far to go from Jacksonville, and then handed him 25 grand in order to come in. Uh, Caleb Blewett, tight end Tennessee. Twainy Lupamanu from Idaho. Tim Cook, Oregon State. Guy I like, Hunter Dimmick from Utah. And another guy I like. In fact, and another guy I like, uh, Ezra Robinson, way to go, um, from Tennessee State. And then they followed that up with Itavius Mathers from Middle Tennessee State. And then, of course, you mentioned Avery Tennessee, Charlie Miller. Here's an interesting player. Not quite as good as so some people made him out to be, but better than some people, you know, whatever, but better than some people think. In Amba Etatawu, then we have Kellen Cole, wide receiver from Western Kentucky. Sorry, Kentucky Wesleyan. Uh, P.J. Davis from Georgia Tech, Kenneth Walker, UCLA, Park Collins from Appalachian State. Then we have Carol Phelps, who I like, from Indianapolis. Not Indianapolis, what am I doing? From Illinois, obviously, Carol Phillips. Then another guy I like, Jeremy Couture, though he could clearly use, you know, a gym membership and potatoes in his life. But uh, Jeremy Couture, then Emmanuel Bird, tight end from Marshall. Oh, sorry. No, no, Couture was the last one for Jacksonville. So take me through that class of undrafted signees and who do you think has a shot and why in order to, you know, have a chance to show us a little something at this level. Right. Uh, well, I think Parker Collins is a good shot of, um, of becoming something. Because okay. that's, that's the one thing I don't really understand is, uh, like, in terms of athleticism, he basically tested almost exactly like Ethan Potsick as an athlete. Um, so, and film-wise, he wasn't that bad either. He. He's very, uh, I think I called him a war pig at one point. But, I mean, yeah, he's he's not exactly like a huge guy uh, by any stretch of imagination, but he does have at least decent size, and he's aggressive, and he's kind of a no-nonsense kind of guy. So, like, there's a lot of positives there. In terms of him, he just never really got a fan base for some reason. I don't know. I guess they weren't watching Appalachian City, but... Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, maybe that's what it is. But I do think that there's, like, again, the Jaguars are a team where there's very few positions that are, like, locked down. But there's no way you're going to become a starter. Like, it's not that type of team. Like, they have multiple <laughs> spots that they need right. to fill. Uh, so I would say that Collins has a good shot just from that aspect that he has. You know, he has potential uh, just because of where he's at. So I would say he definitely is a guy that could become a could become a starter there uh, based on the talent that's in front of him. 
And uh, another guy, again, that I was surprised that nobody nobody really, uh, you know, looked at for some reason because, I don't know. But, yeah, but I, you know, I would say he's probably the guy that with the most likely shot uh, in terms of uh, that group is Parker Collins. Okay. I think the fair finds a way to hang around at least as a, you know, fifth or, you know, sixth corner. I can't remember what his testing was like at his pro day. Contraire, Jeremy Contraire. Oh. um, Do you you remember what his testing was like? It wasn't really that great. Oh, okay. Maybe because he's really light. Very light, though. Yes. Very yes, tiny. He's, he's like 177 pounds at six one and yeah. a half or something like that. He's really tall and really thin. So, uh, which high metabolism, but got to keep right. weight on. Yes. So somewhat. Unless you're unless you're Dominique Rogers Cromartie, they don't they don't like that that much. Yeah. I actually got the rest of it. Actually, there's a lot of. Just pulling this up. There's a lot of well. First of all, you have uh, Tooney from Idaho, a guy. He could end up. Here's the thing about him. He has really good production. He's really good yeah. athleticism. But he's six foot, so nobody can't get past that. <laughs> for for so that's the issue. <laughs> well, it's like remember Andre Monroe, and he basically yeah. embarrassed top five pick on yes. film. Yes. And the NFL just repeatedly <laughs> he's five eleven. So go to the CFL. Off to Canada. Yes, right. Off to Canada with you. Right, yes. He embarrassed a top five pick. Top five. Yes. That's where he was drafted. Top five. Right. He essentially pantsed him. Yes, correct. And you just treat him like that. Hopefully this doesn't happen with Tooney because again he has really good athleticism and really good production, uh, and film wise he is that kind of undersized three tech guy. I'm not going to compare him to Aaron Donald, but there's some Aaron Donald-ish things to his game. So you, you have, you know, there's there's something there, and the Jaguars might be the team for that. Maybe I don't know, or, or they might just not do anything. But um, I would say that's kind of a good thing in terms of him, Hunter Dimmick is the pass rusher. I don't understand what the obsession over PETA is. You know, PETA and the other pass rushers there. Because other than speed and flexibility, like athleticism, there's really not much of a difference between Dimmick and, and PETA, except for the fact that Hunter Dimmick was the one that was getting all those sacks and getting all those, you know, right. the losses. <laughs> so other than the fact that Dimmick is not as flexible but way more productive. Right. So let me ask you something about Dimmick's production. How did he stack up, I mean, against, you know, once again, the guys that you've been studying for low these many years? How did, What kind of production profile does he actually have? Oh, well, with Hunter Dimmick, well, here's, here's, the basic, here's the basic way to put it. PETA, when it comes to his production, he scored 45.23 in terms of solo attack market share. 42.34 when it comes to sack market share, and 36.56 when it comes to tackle for loss market share. All those marks 
<clears throat> are below average from a historical perspective. Compared to Hunter Dimmick, though, and this is just pulling up Hunter Dimmick, he had 88.44 in terms of solid tackle market share, 82.29 in terms of sack market share, at 84.92 when it comes to tackle for loss market share. On top of the fact that he actually, based on his testing, is a little bit more athletic than PETA when it comes to explosiveness. So, I don't, I don't get it. But the NFL took one look at Hunter Dimmick and said, no, thank you. Because he didn't really get any all-star you know, invites. Uh, he wasn't at the Shrine Game. wasn't at the Senior Bowl. Didn't get invited to the Combine. So the NFL has very low-level interest in him, despite all that production. In fact, I think he was a when I did my uh, Metric All-Americans, he was a member of that group. So, from a production standpoint. So, like, right. and PFF likes him, too. Although he's one of the guys where PFF is, like, not very loud about him because the NFL doesn't like him. But, yeah. Because if the NFL likes him, PFF will tell you all about him. You know, they'll pull out everything. If the NFL doesn't like him, they kind of stop talking about him. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't get I don't know. I don't understand the Peter love. The love of the Peter. So. But um, that was yeah, that's kind of weird. Chris said baby Genesee. Yeah, and Amber Echo from Jerkies. He might, he might. There's something there. Uh, Kenneth Walker just kind of ran very fast. Is about it. Chris Kerfoot. So I think Jacksonville had a pretty decent year to fail. I, I yeah. would agree. I think they've got three, maybe four contributors there. Yeah. You know, so they have like an A minus. That's probably what I give them. A solid group. They don't have a Dylan Cole or, you know, he's only bad in the group, but it's a solid group. And that brings us now. To the Kansas City Chiefs, who brought in tight end Emmanuel Bird, also Devon Redding, running back Indiana, Jamari Staples, the wide receiver from Alabama Birmingham, Ricky Ali Ahafua from Utah State, Wyatt Houston, also Anas Hasik from Western Florida, Damian Moma from uh, USC, Devin Chappelle, Oregon State, Corin Brooks, Texas. El Paso, Marcus Kemp, who I kind of liked a little bit from Hawaii, uh, Garrett Bita, the uh, Alabama grad transfer by way of Bowling Green State University, Ashton, Ashton Lampkin, the other corner from Oklahoma State, Tony Stevens, wide receiver from Auburn, another sort of non-productive Auburn wide receiver, and then Alonzo Moore from Nebraska, Jordan Stearns from Oklahoma State. A uh, guy who I thought might get drafted late, J.R. Nelson from Montana. Cornerback wraps up the list. Tell me about that group and who has the chance to to be something, and maybe maybe a tad more. Well, Damian Mamani isn't really going to be anything. Um, I know that there's this sort of I don't know. There's a lot of people that are like, well. 
how many times do guards run 40 yards in a game? It's a, it's, he's very slow, okay? When you run 5-8 at the combine, there's not there's no players that have become long-term starters with that type of athleticism. Um, so that's kind of off the table with him. Um, Dieter, from a market share production standpoint, because he, he was productive somewhat when he was playing at Bowling Green, but when you think about the fact that he had like a 1,000 yards and a 5,000-plus yard offense, it really isn't that impressive when you just think about it from that kind of perspective. Um, and, of course, he goes to Alabama where he was supposed to just back up. Uh, Tony Stevens has some interesting sort of athleticism traits. That's kind of why the, the Kansas City Chiefs, for, for whatever reason, have become this, like, get these spark athlete wide receiver guys. doesn't really matter if they're productive or not type team. But Tony Stevens at least has some production to match some of his athleticism. So that might be something that kind of works out. Uh, and then, of course, Emmanuel Bird is sort of a uh, H-backy kind of tight end guy, uh, fullback kind of guy. So, but, yeah, I don't really like this that much. Um, there are some guys who can, like Ash Lampkin and Kemp and Stevens might be the guys who become, like, contributors, but I don't really see any starters with the group. If what I'm understanding is correct, you didn't get a lot out of this. Is that correct? No. It's kind of like their draft. So they 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 drafted uh Yeah, I mean they basically drafted the Q B and then they just gave up the rest of the yeah. It's kinda of like what their draft was like, sort of. But yeah, the UDFA group is just not a very strong group. No, that's that's basic. That's the bottom line, I guess, when it comes to Kansas City. Huh. All right, then. Well, that's not great. <laughs> so that brings us to the ever-popular Los Angeles. Uh, Chargers. Are I'm still not used to it. Still not used to it. <laughs> the, Los, the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, obviously, it's not the first time they've been the Los Angeles Chargers. It was the first time in a very long time they've been the Los Angeles Chargers. But they uh, got Ishmael Adams, corner from UCLA, who wants to have to see him a plane ticket, obviously. Uh, Jared Collins, cornerback, Arkansas. Here's a guy I kind of sort of like. Uh, he seemed to, you know, be headed towards being something more than he ever became and then kind of fell off his earth. The Johnny Munt, tight end from Oregon. Uh, then there's Jake Elderkamp, the uh, guard from Washington. You've got Justin Davis, who has some fans amongst the, you know, drafted or whatever, running back from USC, who, you know, lost his starting job to Rojo a few years back, but is sort of hung around as a Big back with uh, the Trojans. Here's a guy I really do like. Uh, Foran Oromolade from Dartmouth. Undersized, but very, very productive and fun to watch. Kevin Davis, speaking of of sort of undersized linebacker types from Dartmouth, 
Kevin, uh, sorry, Kevin, not from Dartmouth. Kevin Davis uh, is not from Dartmouth. He's from Colorado State. Uh, Folloran Olmolade is from Dartmouth. Then we have Anthony McMean from Mexico State. Casey Sales, defensive tackle from Ohio. Dravius Wright from NC State corner. Here's a guy that uh, I like as a, as a nickel type, Arian Fenton from Missouri. Then we've got, oh, yeah, that's it, yep, for that Los Angeles franchise. So take me through that group and who stands out to you uh, positively, and if, if anybody stands out negatively, I guess them as well. Right. Um, hmm. Benton is like the only guy who really stands out just from a production standpoint, you know, all SEC corner. But um, the rest of the group is mostly just kind of backup slash reserve kind of level guys based on athleticism and sort of other stuff like that. So I'd say Penton's like the only guy out of that group that uh, I think has a decent shot. A guy who nobody likes either. Nobody talks about Aaron Penton. So. I think he's going to be a pretty good spot defender. I can never quite understand why Pitt get more love, except size, maybe. But he's he's a he's a he's a prospect that I I'm not going to say oh well, you're smarter than this. It's not really that. It's just he was a prospect that. If you didn't, he's one of those guys where if you don't account for him, he can burn you in the sense of if you're a quarterback and you forget where Arian Pinson is on the field and you just think, I'm just going to throw this in that area. I don't have to be super-duper accurate with it. He picks it off, man, like just easily. If you forget about where Arian Pinson is, um, he takes advantage of that. And there was a lot of times where that was kind of what it was. You know, you kind of – he would, you know, play boundary a bit, and then they would put him in the slot, and then he would get interceptions and picks because quarterbacks just kind of forgot that he was in the slot. You know, they just assumed it was somebody else when it was him. So that's why I think as a slot defender, I think there's a lot of potential that he could be pretty impactful. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I sort of wondered how Kansas City managed to miss on him, I mean, which is essentially being right in their backyard. And often, you know, the undrafted free signing period, sometimes it's almost like a territorial draft. You'll see a lot of sort of local kids, but not the situation there. Now the Los Angeles – wait a second, hold on. Maybe that was the Los Angeles. Yeah, we did the Rams first. Yeah. Now, this is the Los Angeles Chargers. Okay. Yeah. okay. This is the Chargers. Yeah. Let's see. Wait a second. Okay. So, Dontre Wilson, running back, Ohio State. James Onwaula from Onwaula uh, from uh, Notre Dame. Arteva Scott, Clemson. Andre Patton, Rutgers. Also, Mason Zandy from South Carolina. Brad Watson, who I kind of sort of like, from uh, Wake Forest. Brandon Stewart from Kansas. Mike Moore from Kansas State. Here's another uh, all-name. Teamer, Young Ho Ko from the uh, kicker from Georgia Southern, Eli Jenkins, quarterback from Jacksonville State, who I'm assuming they're going to try to move to another position, but I guess we'll find out. Nigel Harris from South Florida, 
Austin and Keller, a really productive little running back from Western State of Colorado. Michael Davis from Brigham Young, also Dylan DeBoer from Florida Atlantic, Sean Calkin, the tight end from Missouri, wraps it all up. So amongst that group, who, if any, have a chance to stick and stay in the NFL, and, and if so, why? And, and if not, I guess you can tell us why there's no why there aren't players that have had a chance to do that. Right. Well, some of these guys are popular draft Twitter favorites, so but <laughs> in terms of guys like uh Arcavis Scott and James on Wallet, who I never got the love for, but um You're right, right. I mean Brad Watson is productive, he just doesn't have the athleticism to match his uh but, production. Right. But but there is some things there possibly so the story of Wake Forest as a program, yeah. but yes, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, that's, you know, most Wake Forest guys productive, but the athleticism is really bad. So, yeah, that's that's like most of the guys here. Mason Zandy uh, has good explosiveness, but his speed and his flexibility are, like, really bad. And I know that there were some people that were praising Mason Zandy because of the explosion testing. But then I'm like, all that means is that you have a explosive but super stiff, super tall tackle. Right. So that means you can go in one direction. Not so very as long practical. As, you keep, <laughs> as long as you always go the same way, he will be good. good. But, but if you're talking about leverage changes, and change of direction and stuff on film that he struggled with, you know, so I just wasn't a, like sure he has explosiveness, but I'd like to have everything, you know, speed and flexibility, stuff like that. So I don't like Spark that much. But you know, Watson is is the type of guy. Not Watson, but uh Zandy is kinda like that in terms of that. So maybe yeah, they really didn't get a lot of stuff. And Eli Jenkins is just a very inefficient passer. Even for his level of competition, he's very inefficient. So I don't know what they're doing with him, 100%. But, yeah, and, of course, Sean Culkin is a tight end that is your kind of typical H-backy tight end type. So, but production-wise, doesn't really matter. Great, and athleticism wasn't really great. So they really didn't get much of anything, really. Uh, I know they might think they got something in James Onwali and maybe Dontre Wilson. But Wilson's film was – he was one of those prospects where you just have to watch him and you're like, okay, go to a game. And then he has, like, two catches or two runs, and then that's it. Then you go to the next game. Like, it was, he was that type of prospect to watch. So it's really hard to get much of anything out of this one just because he wasn't a starter. Um, but, yeah, I don't really see a ton of stuff with the Chargers with that particular class. Got it. And the Dolphins. Linebacker Chase Allen from Southern Illinois. Francis Owusu, who is the younger brother of uh, the other Owusu, was James, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, the other Owusu from uh, Stanford. Uh, Maurice Smith, safety from Georgia. Demarius Stringfellow, who, once again, another guy had a following, people who were fans. Mississippi, Eric Smith from uh, Virginia, tackle. Corner Larry Hope from Akron. Praise Martin Oguike, another all-name uh, team, at least a finalist, I would assume, 
from Temple, Devin Venn, Davion Smith, the running back from Michigan, Matt Hacks, Hunter from Arizona State. Here's one of my guys, Joby Snapfleur from Northwestern Oklahoma State, Drew Morgan, wide receiver from Arkansas, Tori McTire, corner from uh, Nevada, Las Vegas. A guy I like and love, but liked. Uh, I think McTire has a chance to stick around as a dime or, you know, sixth corner. Then we've got Cameron Malvo, Houston, Malcolm Lewis from Miami, Florida, Dylan Bradley, a guy that I like a little bit and they like a lot. He got 40000 in guaranteed money, which is certainly a lot for an free agent. And also they took Sean Bauer, the uh, another defense fan from Louisiana. Oh, wait, hold on. Sorry, that's Minnesota. Okay, so the last one was Malcolm Lewis from Miami to kept off the Miami draft pass. Not draft pass, but uh, undraft free agent class. So amongst that that group, who do you like and why? Well, based on the comments I got from Miami Dolphin fans, I, I hate to I hate it. It's a terrible EDF group, one of the worst I've ever seen. Just kidding. <laughs> it's, you know, it's all right. Uh, it's not <laughs> great. None of the guys are players with particularly, like, some of these guys aren't really that productive. Uh, Devon Smith is a weird guy because at the Shrine game, he looked explosive. He looked quick. And yeah. quick. And then the testing came around, and he didn't test quick. No, exactly. So he's weird. I don't know what happened. Um, but, yeah, so, like, that, he's kind of like – and, of course, his production really wasn't where he needs to be in terms of, like, high-quality outcomes, too. Uh, Drew Morgan is just Drew Morgan. He's, like, a slot – wide receiver guy, but not really that productive. Uh, and Cameron uh, Malvo from Houston is really athletic, well, explosive, but his production is, like, non-existent. So you can kind of do the math in terms of guys like that. Even though athleticism, people get on to me. They're like, he's really athletic. He, he has athletic upside. I guess, but if you're not productive and athletic, then you're just – you're not – to me, if you're if you are really athletic but you're not productive, um, you, you're you know I'm not there, I'm not there with with that guy. I think that raises super red flags actually that you have a guy who's that athletic but he can't put up at least decent production. Like you know, which I'm not saying like that's totally on him, you know, because he's you know rotation. There's lots of different things with him, but. Um, yeah, I mean, he's athletic. He just isn't very productive. So just like their draft class, it's kind of, you know, but um, fights and stuff, which I didn't even think that – I didn't even say their class was that bad. I just criticized some of their picks. But, um, but yeah, the UDFA group, at least, I don't really see. And, of course, Stringfellow is a guy that – I don't have to, like, explain it. I don't have to explain it in a way that a child can understand, but – when you have a guy that is below average productive and below average athletic in every single metric, again, you do the math, you know, mm-hmm. on that. So, because most of the guys, like the one thing I'll say is most of the guys that are not productive at wide receiver had some positive athleticism traits. Even Wes Welker, 
even Wes Welker has <laughs> really good flexibility traits for his for his size. So if he got at least that, that's at least something to cling to. But Shinkola has nothing to cling to. There's nothing. There's no. There's nothing to like put your hang your hat on. I guess as a positive. So um, I really don't think there's. Yeah, and plus, there's a lot of competition. It's funny to say there's a lot of competition on the Miami Dolphins wide receiver board, but there technically is. Like, he's not going to take Jarvis Landry's job. He's not going to take Devontae Parker's job. So that's not happening. So it's just kind of like that. Okay, and that brings us to the Minnesota Vikings draft eight. They were the ones that spent eighty-five between the two t- two players eighty-five thousand dollars in guaranteed money on Dylan Bradley from Southern Miss and Tashawn Bauer from Louisiana State. Also, they have Shan Washington from Texas A&M, Sam McCaskill, defensive end from Boise, Josiah Price, middle of the Michigan State tight ends, finds his way to his home in the NFL. Horace Richardson is a guy that. I think has real potential from Southern Miss, not Southern Miss, Southern Methodist. Uh, R.J. Shelton from Michigan State went to Minnesota as well. Terrell Newby, Nebraska running back, Wes Munt, uh, an Illinois quarterback, on again, off again, starter, has at his best, you know, the guy that has a lot of the same qualities that people like about Davis Webb, but at his worst, you can see, you know, why he never became a long-term starter. Uh, then you've got Caleb Kidd, defensive end from Montana. Aviante Collins, a lot of people like him from Texas, Texas Christian. Linebacker Eric Allen from Cincinnati. Nick Fett, the tackle from Iowa State. Circles it up, brings it up, wraps it up, whatever term you'd like to use. So tell me, uh, from that group, did they find you know, help, assistance, things that might help them to grow as a team, but equally as important as a franchise? And then anything that might help you, uh, as you might have noticed. Right. Well, I like Dylan Bradley, but he's short. So, like, I like I like his film. He embarrassed John Toth from Kentucky. Um, yep. But and he's also really productive. But high twice, our team's going to give him a shot. Like that's a big question. Um, Josiah Price, like I said, super slow. Super, super slow tight end. Um, so I don't really know about that. Uh, R.J. Shelton, too. Uh, West one, yeah. Avante Collins is basically Roger Johnson with less length, which, again, there's no guards or tackles with that athletic profile that have become long-term starters. For guys that are super fast, obviously Avante Collins is very fast, but they have below-average explosiveness and below-average flexibility. That just doesn't work out that much in the NFL level. Um, and then the – oh, yeah, Eric Wilson. I think Eric Wilson might be the guy uh, from Cincinnati. He might be the guy that actually has the best chance to start because they are, they're not really retooling or re-engineering their linebacker group, but he does have above-average athleticism, good production. Uh, so there might be a chance that he ends up being a, a starting linebacker for them just based on his production, based on his athleticism. Okay. And the hotly anticipated – uh, New England Patriots, who really spread the largesse around. As I mentioned, the shocking 115,000 to Harvey Lange, then followed up with uh, 31 grand, sorry, 90 grand 
to Jacob Hollister. Good on you, uh, Jake. 31 grand to DJ Killings. Also 20,000 to Cody Hollister because they want to break up the set. Uh, then Corey Breen because they like Breen's. Uh, got 12.5. Then you had David Jones, the corner from Louisville, who also has his own company. And uh, Josh Augusta, defensive tackle from Missouri. And Jason Thompson, safety from Utah to round out the uh, the group that... I guess, will you tell me? This, this group... Well, I guess I'll finish them off, first of all. Um, Brooks Ellis, linebacker from Arkansas, Andrew Jelks, uh, the other sort of underpowered tight end from Vanderbilt. Here's a name that you'll, you know, I'm sure you enjoyed hearing, Max Rich from Harvard. Then you have LaShawn Daniels, Iowa running back, then Iowa's tight end, no, sorry, tackle, uh, Cole Croston, and uh, linebacker Dwayne Thomas from Legal State. Also Vanderbilt graduate, ADM, ADM. Adam uh, Walker, Tommy Butler. Uh, then we have Demarius Travis from Minnesota. Jason King, the tackle. Get another tackle because there are too many tackles. Uh, from Purdue. And I think that's it. Let me see. Hold on. No, wait, there might be more. And. Oh, yeah, uh, Jason King, tackle, is that it? Let me see, Jason King, tackle from Purdue. And then, oh, my guy, speaking of the, the uh, as you say, the uh, volleyball team from Top Gun, uh, Austin Carr will sit right in, guy I really, really like. I just think that, if not New England, but I think New England might be the spot, but some team is going to see, you know, what he does and how he does it. And once again, and I know people got so excited and woke up to Cooper Cup sort of late in the game, but I, I, I'm absolutely positively flabbergasted when I think about the fact that, you know, for reasons I'm not at all uh, sure of, you know, we have, um, you know, Austin Carp floating around. Kenny Moore from Valdosta State rounds out the Patriots. Group. So, who do you see in terms of, of potential, you know, uh, people, professional people who would like to see what this class might be and why? What do you, uh, who, you know, who do you like? And if it was indeed somebody who did it for you, you know, where where do you get your nails done? But more importantly, this is a team. You know, obviously, England won a Super Bowl. They probably have maybe one more, possibly two more left in the in the act. So did the players that they acquired from undrafted readings help them maybe to to get back to winning in the Super Bowl or not? Maybe. I mean, their UDFA group was better than their draft, you know. So, well, there you go. Uh, I, I mean, it really was. I mean, now some of these players are fool's gold. DJ Killens, I think I even did an article on him called uh, – Oh, yeah, DJ Killen, look elsewhere in the title. Um, <laughs> but just because, you know, he has production, but he doesn't have production. That's the thing. He's 33.37 in terms of solo tackle market share, 47.39 in terms of half selection market share. Come on, Patriots, don't you 
do pass by Schmarcher anymore. And then in terms of uh, athleticism, he was only he seventy point eight five in terms of explosiveness, but only fifty eight point eight in terms of speed and fifty eight point six in terms of flexibility. And a big issue with him is just that if you look at his numbers on paper, you go, oh, he's athletic. He's five ten, hundred eighty seven pounds. Like if he was two hundred ten pounds, that would be intriguing athleticism, but. He's not 210 pounds. So, like, DJ Killens is kind of, yeah, Harvey Lang is kind of, yeah, it's a lot of money. I guess he can buy a house. I really like him, apparently. He can buy a house in Utah, I guess. That kind of change. Um, yeah, he could, yeah. Prices are pretty cheap. And then, uh course, Jason Thompson is basically a special teamer for the most part. Brooks Ellis might become – he has good – he has good uh, production, but athleticism doesn't really match. Max Rich is a good pick because he actually, I think, will have, end up being a starting tackle for them. He's one of the more athletic tackles in the draft class. Explosive, fast, and flexible, tall, and film wasn't that bad either. Uh, LaShawn Daniels is an intriguing pick just because LeGarrette Blunt, like, LaShawn Daniels and LeGarrette Blunt are, are similar. Types of, you know, they're big backs kind of thing, so... Um, that's kind of interesting. Cole Krautson, he didn't do any testing, Cole Krautson, but the film that I did see of him, he looked kind of interesting. Uh, Jason King is interesting from an athleticism standpoint. And, of course, Austin Carr is a top-10 wide receiver in the draft class, and they got him as a UDFA guy. So it's a good group, better than their draft. You know, because in terms of their draft, they drafted two tackles, and maybe and one of them will probably not become much of anything. Antonio Garcia, followed by the guy who can't hang with uh, Miles Garrett. Max Rich is kind of like uh, Connor McDermott, but much more athletic and younger. So that's just kind of the perspective there. So like, there's they could fix those tackle spots. As far as going to another Super Bowl, I don't know. You know, like it's tough to go to Super Bowls. Uh, Tom Brady, still Tom Brady, but I don't really see any, like, tremendously dynamic players here, but at least fixing some of their holes or filling in some things that they could use some help with, I think they definitely could help that sort of stuff. And Austin Carr is a player I really like, but he is somewhat redundant in terms of their wide receiver core because the wide receiver core is really just a bunch of slot receivers, which is good, but... I mean, it is a bit redundant in terms of, like, what they got. So that's that's only I would say is it's a little redundant, but he's a good player. So but I think it's a, it's a good UDFA haul, even though they kind of overpaid for certain players. Okay. But overall, it sounds like a fairly satisfied group of individuals. Yeah, basically. Except, again, look elsewhere with EJ Killen. Got it. I just it just amazes me that you can't put two and two together sometimes. And I get it. You look at the you look at the raw numbers and you go, Oh, he was athletic though. Look at the raw numbers. But he's small like he you know, athleticism for size, like that's the thing that number one thing that people just don't get yet. Even teams based on what they do is athleticism for size. They don't really pay attention to that when that I think they really should. Is the difference between good players, great players, and kind of ass players? 
Carson Millette. Coming from Memphis. Let me get to the thing fast. Oh, their class. Then we had Colin Buchanan. Castle Knight from uh, Miami, Ohio. Cameron Thomas, a player I like the most. Southern Miss guard. Mata Fullwood, wide receiver from Florida. Clint Van Horn. Marshall. Cameron Lee. Iowa State, defensive tackle. John Robinson Logic. The third financial benefits. I don't know how many the number is, but lots of players, uh, you know, belongings or whatever, find their way through. Then, who do you have after that? Uh, Chase Dominguez, long snap from Utah, say uh, Tuatu, actually, linebacker from BYU, Devaro Lawrence, defensive tackle Auburn, Andrew Lauderdale, offensive tackle from Nebraska, Trevor Neral, wide receiver from the aforementioned Louisiana State, wraps up that group. Tell me about that group and what do you think? Yeah? Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. Uh, well, Cameron Tom has some intriguing athleticism um, from, yeah, Southern Miss. So there's some, you know, there's some potential there. Um, uh, Trayvon Durrell is the better of the LSU wide receivers. So there might be something there. I mean, the Saints are such a weird team, though. I, I just kind of they they don't follow conventional stuff when it comes to skill position players. They're okay with having five different starting running backs, and five different starting wide receivers, and stuff like that. So any number like Trayvon Durrell, if he becomes a contributor, it wouldn't surprise me. That's all I'm trying to say because they try to mix in a bunch of people all the time. And um, and that's really about it. And also, author Mallet might have a shot too because of uh, production athleticism. So, uh, Cameron Lee too. He has some potential to be a starter too. But I mean, it's not a bad group. I just don't really see any guys who are like high quality sort of guys. But there are some guys who could become starters, or at least there's some potential to be a contributor in that group. So. And a former Belichick employer, the New York Giants, off the block, obviously, but looking through their undrafted free agent signing hall, Chad Wheeler from USC. Then you have Travis Rudolph. Florida State, maybe the fourth or fifth best one they had on the roster last year. Deshaun Amos, East Carolina, Nigel Tribune, who I kind of like, from Iowa State. Then we have Rob Wheelwright, who reminds me a lot of Nick Toon, Alton's son, when he was at uh, Wisconsin. 
Then we got Josh Banks, defensive tackle Wake Forest. Devin Schwan, defensive end from Kent State. Jalen Williams, the wide receiver from Ole Miss, follows. Keon Johnson from uh, from Virginia. And also Colin Thompson, tight end from Temple. Shane Smith, Black Senators, uh, fullback Senate State. Justin Dunker from Tennessee State by way of Florida. Look to shore up the offensive line group. Uh, Shane Smith, fullback, San Jose State. Justin Dunker. Oh, yeah, Calvin Murphy. Here's another guy I really like. Calvin Munson. Played on a really good team with talented players. Wasn't always able to take over or put his will on something or whatever the same way he could or at a different level. But uh, those are some of my... Oh, wait. Uh, Jerron Jones from Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Jadar Johnson, the safety from Clemson, who I questioned a few things about him and discovered there was an angry uh, supporting of his. And rounding it out, yes, yeah, Jared Johnson was the last one, so let's round it out. Uh, who Clemson, the Clemson Twitter guy after you is what you're saying? Um, yeah, I mean, every once in a while I hear a little something, something, but you know, I uh, for me it's never personal, and you know, if I miss, I I like to know how and why I miss, but I don't think right. I missed on him. But yes, um, take sure. that class and, and who you like and why. Yeah, uh, it's not good, guy. The giant draft class wasn't good, and their UDFA group wasn't exactly that great. Uh, Chad Wheeler is someone who's been injured a lot, but now, based on, he's kind of like Josh Quandrio, where the excuses were he's, well, you know, like Ronis or whatever, but injuries or whatever reason, the bottom line is, is that Based on his athleticism, he's not functionally athletic to be a very successful NFL starter. So, uh, which I don't usually say that with many players, but when I do, people go, whoa, functionally athletic, whoa, you dumb data guy. But, again, there's never been a long-term starter with his athleticism problem. So, why say when he's not functionally athletic? It means it's never happened before. It's not functional. So, um, that's a guy that doesn't really work out. Travis Rudolph. Uh, doesn't really have great production, doesn't have really great athleticism. Uh, Nigel Tribune has good production, but doesn't necessarily have great athleticism. Robert Wilwright has good athleticism, but he doesn't have great production. Uh, Josh Banks has neither great production nor great athleticism. Evan Schwamm, similar situation. Keon Johnson, similar situation. Uh, Jessamyn Dunker is the one guy I think might end up being a starter for them. He has above average uh, athleticism traits that could end up being a starter inside. Calvin Munson, I'll call my shot. I think he's going to end up being a starting linebacker for them because their linebackers are so bad. So I think he actually might have a shot to become a starter for them. And Jadar Johnson, production-wise, just isn't there. Athleticism isn't there. And then Jerron Jones. And a funny case of Jerron Jonesville, back when we were talking about him, he was getting buzzed as a first rounder to high end day two pick and me and he, and I was shocked that people were saying that about him. Um and that he was this great all around athlete, then when he tested the athleticism wasn't there and the production wasn't there. 
Um, so that's just not exactly going to work out very much. So I would say, again, the best picture, Calvin Munson and Jessamine Dunker, but the rest of the UDFA group is kind of shaky at best. So to recap, Jesse, the guys have a chance to actually contribute amongst the group. I didn't hear a lot of names. So, I mean, Munson is actually sort of a short-armed, tough guy. Ron Jones is one of those hype, not from this year, but from the previous year, you I heard a lot of hype. Right. Um, but this is the Giants who had Mark uh, Herzlick as a starter. My point is right. simply this. If you can have Mark Herzlick as a starter, why not Calvin Munson? Right. Why not? Hands in the hands in the air. So, like, that's all I'm saying. I mean, there are some athleticism questions, but I tend to side with production over athleticism when it comes to linebacker position, especially at times. And this is just one of those cases where I feel like he can end up being a starter for them just because of his production, because he knows how to play the position, um, which a lot of their linebackers don't. So um, that's that's kind of my point with them. And, of course, Jessamyn Dunker, but that's really it in terms of that group for the Giants, those contributors. Um, there's just not a lot of guys in that group. Okay. And same state same whatever, different kind of town. Different, well, different side of town, I guess, the way they usually it's put. So, you have Risley Etienne, the other uh, wide receiver from Syracuse. So, now that set is unbroken. Then you have tight end Chris Bordelon, from Nickel State, Benjamin Braden from Michigan, Xavier Coleman from Penn State, Xavier Cotro, Coach Xavier coached him in such that way. And then for most of us, we work a piece of land, even if it's one that we've inherited or are going to inherit, and we treat it to certain things, things you can understand, things that might not be able to understand, but this will sink in later, all those kinds of things, you know, walking through that. And then that's, you know, the world-famous question, you know, obviously, are you no way out? Are you no way out? Do you have anybody who can help you all that stuff? And then, you know, it goes, well, she doesn't go away. Pretty much right into it after that. But uh, getting back to the list, the group, as you mentioned, uh, Dana Cole, which is great, uh, Dina Carroll, what first? Uh, who else left? Connor Harris, obviously. The uh-huh. yeah, there's a bunch. I was trying to give up. Rain, Coleman. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember. I know it's probably some others there, but however you slice it, there's a lot of room. So players, you know, players who deserve that room. But yeah, so you had uh, both Mortys, right? Uh, Dion and uh, whatever the other name is. Then we've got uh, 
essentially sort of a maybe a bronze too strong word, but just uh, more of a fairness doctrine play. Now, moving us to Caleb Fisher. Anything that makes you feel like it might have been? Oh, what? Oh, okay. yeah. There we go. Uh, so that brings us to, I thought it was the one you really wanted to be locked in on, the Raiders, the Oakland Raiders. So, um, Anthony Brixer, uh the running back, Harvard, Crystal Cashier, not Cashier. Glad I never gave her that one successfully as well. Uh, the wide receiver from Lincoln, sorry, Washington State. Then you've got Anthony Wishover. Uh, I think that Wishover. Uh, Wish, so Saber. Then we've got, you know, uh, Chris Miller, Troy uh, Lewis, and Ajay, uh, Najay, whatever, uh, Leon Ellis. Uh, Xavier Woods Rutson as well. So looking at that group, those players and which ones have a chance to legitimately maybe see the field sooner rather than later, uh, well, yeah, what, who are they? Uh, what, what, what do we need to discuss? That kind of thing. But, but yes, I mean, if someone truly insists they make good, they're committed to being there because they've got other thing happening, you know, just, Never try to burn it while you're on it. You know, hey, if your calves at this end or your calves at the other end, you still have, you know, some things you can consider. If you've already pressed send, then unless you've visibly checked into what to do, you're not such a normal, quote unquote, normal, uh, you know, your your moment, your day, whatever it is, part two. So that brings us to the Jim still with me? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So obviously Oakland is, you know, a team, and uh, you know you're familiar with their needs, you're familiar with their mood, uh, what they've added, and what they're still looking to add. So take me through it. Sure. Um, I think no, I think the big pick for them is Ishmael Zamora uh, for Baylor. Uh, there are some character stuff, but he has the athleticism. He has the production. He's essentially Mike Williams from Clemson, but with elite explosiveness and elite speed for his size. And actually did flexibility testing, which Mike Williams did not do flexibility testing. So, like, that potential is there for Zamora to be a potentially better version of uh, of uh, Mike Williams. So it's it's very much there in the cards. So I think that's kind of a, a good pick for them. Uh, Keon Hatcher is similar in terms of – he's basically similar to Mike Williams, too, just in terms of size, profile. Uh, not great production, but definitely has some kind of points when it comes to that. And I think the – yeah, I think the other – yeah, other than that, I mean, that's really about it when it comes to their EDFA group. Oh, Breon Borders, too, at cornerback from Deep. That's the last guy. He's good production. Uh, above average speed. Uh, so there's a lot of positives in terms of him as a cornerback. Uh, but 
the rest of the group is not really the best, but they do have a lot of uh, players that have some potential when it comes to Zamora, uh, Hatcher, and uh, Breon Borders. I think Borders and Zamora are two guys that I think could end up being starters, possibly, or at least contributors early on and could develop into starters. Well, trust me, he has. Uh, I think he might take requests at this point. So tell me, where are you in your mind? I don't know what anyone else thinks. Where do you think you are in terms of how you perform? Okay. I thought for sure you'd have some blazing, fire-hot takes of various sorts. Uh, but yes, moving forward. So there's not much to separate, to separate, you know, the rich from the poor, or the poor from middle class, middle class from soft wreck, uh, which is what I guess we're intending to do. But leaving them in charge, go. So I will definitely meet with them, talk to some of the other guys that I've uh, pledged support, and thank you so much. I'll talk to you on Monday. So that brings us to, oh, well, before we move forward, take me through some of the things that you experienced as a fan of uh, of the Steelers and, no, and not Steelers, I mean, of the, uh, we're not about to discuss the Steelers, but right before that, um, we sort of waded through uh, Randy, man, I not have a good name of people's, they have people's names, uh, help at all. But yes, uh, go ahead. You still with you, Jim? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was oh, what was the question? Well, we just went through the radio staff fast. Tell me about what your impressions are and what, thing, what if anything, you might have done differently. Oh, um, well, you know, again, Ishmael Zamora, wide receiver from Baylor, I think there's some positives there. And uh, Breon Borders is another guy that has some positives in terms of a, a slot guy. Uh, but those would be the two guys, Zamora and then Breon Borders for the Raiders. Gotcha. Okay, anything, any questions about anything, anything new or different? Gotcha. So, moving, moving on down the line, we now, for real, we come to Pittsburgh, for real this time, uh, seeing that, that sort of hung, you know, hung around with the Felicity, Felicity and waiting for, you know, soft open and then finally, you know, the big one. So tell me about that. Why, why that way? So tell me about that. Uh, who you like and why? Oh, um, in terms, yeah, in terms of the UDFA group, uh, hmm. well, Ethan Cooper uh, from Indiana State. I mean, he's well, not Indiana State, but Indiana, PA. He's a guy who at least has uh, starter level kind of athleticism traits. And Scott Orndorff has at least t- tight end production. Like, there's some potential he could be a starter. But athleticism isn't really that great. Um, but I would say those would be the two guys that might end up being contributors is 
Corn Doth and uh and Cooper with the rest kind of being a little on the other side in terms of certain things. So and Rochelle and Rochelle Shell uh from West Virginia has had some good games, but he's never really been 100% healthy. So that's always been kind of his issue. Definitely. Gotcha. Perfect. So walk me through the process. You know, how do you find them? How do they end up being above them? Oh, for who? Uh, well, yes. I mean, we'll walk through the class, and then I'll come to you. So... In this team, right, we had the worst of the worst, as I understand, and what happened with, with uh, Burden, you know, so now you have here about golf. Then at the, the National Park, which abuts onto a uh, pretty large case, so that's two now on the south side. Uh, let's see, who else might have something else for me? Um, Okay. Uh, Calvin. Let's see here. Brown. There's a great number of ways to encourage people. And if, you know, all of a sudden, much as you do whenever something just, you know, expires or whatever, you would have, you know, the ability to generate a coupon code. But, yes, I mean, that's probably not a make-or-break deal. So that brings us – well, I'll just ask um, – what efficiency or what things do you think might have improved for that team as a quarter of between years one and two? Yes. Ah. Yes. Yes. Brings us to now the Seattle Seahawks. Tell me about, you know, what you think. Well, let's see. They have Nick Usher, what's the end, cool name, finalist, representative, whatever. Aiden uh, Finkel, Josh Gibson, Washington, Washington, and Washington. Uh, sort of frustrating. Each time I keep hoping it'll turn out differently. But let's walk through this group of sort of talented enigmas, right? Question mark. Uh, not so much with the first player. You've got Nick Usher, then, you know, someone who's going to light it up. Then, see, you've got people like Anthony Johnson, the, uh, you know, he's flashed at times in terms of size, speed, whatever. Uh, during his time, he was under collegiate under collegiate football player, then you've got Scott Orndorff, he to be good at one or both of them. Uh, then from there, you have Kelsey Gilmore, uh, which had become big note. And then it was, you know, pull fans, and then just went from there. And the Alvin Johnson, I hope you're right. Okay, moving right along brings us to Seattle Seahawks. Tell me about, at least from what you know, about what they look for and why and how and, and how this draft will shake, up, shake out based on what you do and I guess even if you know, 
based on what they're seeking. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess we'll put a pin in it to this one. But uh, is he out there? Yeah, he's just for a moment. He's not out there. I don't know what to say. Uh, but always a pleasure. And I guess I'll just whip through the last couple of names here on this particular list. We'll finish up, I guess, next week. But uh, yeah, you know, hang on, Mr. Cooper, Ethan Cooper. That's a, a player a lot of people like in Pittsburgh. Christian Brown, uh, Nelson Scott Orndorff is another guy I think might might have a chance to stick. Keith uh, Kelsey, very least on the special teams, maybe more. Jordan Ruse, uh, maybe has a chance to be a depth guy, reserve. Um, I don't know. Not much special there. Uh, for Miami. They're in, they're in the front four, basically, just about lock, stock, and barrel, and they might have managed to do it. They're hammering out a discussion. Who knows what it is, but a discussion following the Saints around. So, yes, either way, I'm going to go handle it. Take care of you soon. Jim? Well, I guess we'll wrap for the time being. Uh, we may have lost Jim. Always a honor, a privilege, and a pleasure, and uh, we'll finish this up next week. Thank you very much. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.